0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Baseline MMA. This is episode two, uh, where we are introducing a new co host, and we are reviewing last Saturday's card, the Davison Figueredo versus Joseph Benavides rematch. And we are looking forward to the upcoming card with Robert Whitaker and Darren Till. And uh, I am super, super excited to introduce our new co host. Uh, Cody, would you like to talk a little bit about yourself?
1: Oh, man, that's always fun to get to talk about myself a little. Uh, Just really a diehard MMA fan. I actually used to promote and matchmake MMA, the amateur and pro side. And back when I used to do it, we had some young up-and-comer guys, and a lot of them are now in the UFC. Guys like uh, Scott Holtzman, who's a contending lightweight, I think, world ranking-wise. He's just outside the top 15, and there's been a few others. I know Nate Landwehr fought not too long ago. Uh, He headlined a few of our cards, so... Yeah, and then me and my wife both fought for a little bit, too, so uh, in East Tennessee, so there's a lot of MMA, it really grew over the last few years, so yeah, I've done a, been around the sport a long time, now I'm just a, an old radio DJ, So, but I love talking about the sport, it's my favorite sport to watch, I'm one of those people that have always, ever since the early days, I love almost the prelims more than the main card, I, I just love watching all sorts of fights, so excited to get on here and talk about them. Uh,
0: for everybody listening, the coolest fun fact in the world is that me and Cody met via Reddit, but we potentially lived only 30 minutes away from each other, essentially our entire lives.
1: And probably trained at the same gym a couple times, because I had been to the gym you mentioned um, uh, once or twice. I never trained there full-time, but I had been there before to train, and a lot of uh, your former teammates used to fight for the promotion I was working for.
0: Uh, Do you remember... um... Gosh, I'm trying to think of his name now. He's in the UFC, he just... He just fought Joe Lozon, JP. Do you remember him?
1: Yeah, Jonathan Pierce. When I first, my first real, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, my first real like fight training experience where it wasn't just doing a workout. We were actually putting on the gloves and the mouthpiece and everything. My first partner was a young college wrestler named Jonathan Pierce. So I remember him uh, vividly.
0: So fun fact about me is one of the, uh, first thoughts that I ever gave like about fighting was after I wrestled JP and we talked to him. like He was talking about it even back then and uh, that's so crazy. It's such a small world and oh, yeah. it, John, Jonathan will definitely be back. Um, he's such a good kid. Uh, well, I shouldn't say kid because he's actually a little bit older than me but uh, it's awesome to have you at Baseline, man.
1: Oh yeah, excited to be here. Excited to talk some fights and anything else that comes our way. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. This uh,
0: this fight card over the weekend, man, on Saturday. Uh, first off, let me just let me just start here. What do you think about Fight Island?
1: Uh, it's it's been a, a cool experience. You know, it's something that I'd say, looking around at how uh, the United States has handled the pandemic, I would not be surprised one bit if if the UFC heads back there relatively soon and just kind of. Hangs out there. I think things have been good, though. I think it's a, a neat way to get international fighters on the card. When I first heard about Fight Island, I thought it would only be international fighters. I thought they were going to split them right down the middle, but the UFC's actually bringing uh, American guys in as well, so that really changes the approach where it's really almost – the UFC's own little fighting ground, so I think it's been a real neat thing. I think so many people had crazy expectations that it would look like a Mortal Kombat arena, or they were actually going to fight outside. I don't think a lot of people know that Abu Dhabi's regular temperature is 103 and 104 degrees, but I think for the most part, it's it's worked out well for them, and they've they've really not had any issues pop up. So I think all in all, it's it's worked out really almost better than planned for most aspects of everything that's gone in. Plus, they've had some great fights. I was sort of worried with the bigger cage, the fights would drop off a little. But as we've seen on Saturday, there were there were some very exciting finishes. And I think we'll see even more of that come this next weekend.
0: I do as well. And I, I'm one of those people, like, I thought the smaller cage in Las Vegas was, like, really cool. And I, I thought it was, like, a... Um, I thought it was like a nice little throwback for like uh, people who fought on the regional circuit. Like I think you'll understand what I'm talking about, but like I thought the smaller cage is pretty cool. Um, and like you are kind of right. Like the smaller cage does kind of produce more finishes. And I was initially worried about that going into Fight Island. Um, and I was one of the people. I remember. Do you remember when Khabib fought just or uh, I'm sorry, he fought Dustin Poirier, and they were talking about how hot it was backstage for all the fighters. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I knew initially um, when they started talking about Fight Island being Yas Island, Abu Dhabi. I was like, "There's no way that they're actually fighting outside." I thought maybe build a like an arena with like a glass dome. You know what I mean? So like you can have natural light. I thought maybe something like that. Right. Um, I'm loving Fight Island though.
1: Yeah, I, I do too. I think they've done everything right, and I think in terms of the cage size, I mean. I think a lot of these fighters probably heard that, so they're even more kind of being aggressive to get the finish. But, oh, yeah, the case size, and there's a lot of people. I even think Dana or somebody has said that it was just sort of a figment of imagination. Like, no, any fighter who came up from a regional promotion, especially if they fought you know, in smaller promotions, nowadays you have some guys that really start off their pro and amateur careers in pretty big promotions. But in terms of the guys that you said, like you said, come up through the actual region promotion, I mean, these guys – used to fight in the small, almost dog kennel-sized cages. And that is such... I mean, there's nowhere to run. There's no you know, footwork no matter what you have. There's no real place to go. And I think the apex, we've seen a lot of guys take full advantage of that. It usually... usually the fighters that were more aggressive, it seemed like they really got the upper hand early on in fights. And uh, that don't always work to your advantage, but it was nice to see that the bigger cage really didn't change too much. I would say the the Wednesday card before last Saturday's card, you could see a little bit more room for guys to move around and work. But in terms of Saturday, I mean, the two fights on the main card that went to decision were both very exciting fights. It wasn't because, wasn't because neither guy was able to be exciting or get the finish they were just competitive fights but no i have loved fight island and like i said i really would not be surprised if they do something very similar to what they did in july come maybe september or or october and they just spent a full month just putting on you know four five six shows while they're there
0: you mentioned uh wednesday's card when you have guys like calvin qatar who have such clean boxing and you have dan Ige who's just always super game um these are two guys who have no problem getting on the bicycle and like moving that was such a cool fight and it happened everywhere um throughout the cage like you you know what i mean like they they would stand in the phone book for or in the phone booth for a minute and they would swing and then they would just be on their bicycle moving and uh that's when i really noticed like the difference in the cage compared to what we um i guess had been seeing excellent fight um i really like calvin qatar at the at the I guess, contender side of featherweight.
1: Oh, yeah, I do, too. I even uh, did some match... I usually... On social media, I'd like to post some of the big fights I'd like to see. And I, mean, I think for Calvin next, the only fight that I really look at and I go, boom, there's the fight I want to see, is him and Max Holloway. I mean, I just feel like that's the sort of matchup that Calvin needs to get propelled into a title fight. And with no disrespect to Dan Ige, he you know, has looked outstanding. But he was coming off two split decision wins. One was, I, I thought, a fight he won. The other was pretty controversial when he got the win against Barboza. But I just, you know, you're not going to get a title shot off that no matter anything at the finish. And you know how the UFC matchmakers are in terms of we want to see finishes, finishes. So I think him and Max Holloway make the most sense. And that's one of those fights that I really hope the UFC somehow hears this and wants to do that fight. Because, I mean, I think that's perfect. You know, Holloway... You could argue should have just had two back-to-back title defenses, and instead he loses two split decisions. So obviously you can't really just dive into a trilogy when you're 0-2. You know that's just not something you want to do. I think you know for Calvin, I think he definitely is a title contender. I think when you look at you know the top of that featherweight division, Calvin can hold his own against any of those guys in the top three, top four of the division, and even against Zabit, you really need to look back at that fight. And I mean, if you give Calvin round four and round five, and that becomes a five-round fight. I mean, we we may be having a totally different discussion right now about you know the featherweight title pitcher, but didn't work out that way. But nonetheless, he got the job done in a five-round pretty dominant, not one-sided, but a very clear-cut win in a big way, a fight that he needed to pretty much showcase that he was a top-five guy, and I think he definitely did that with that win.
0: I think when you look at the top of the featherweight division right now, um, and I, I firmly, like, I 100% agree with everything you just said, except for one thing. Um, Max Holloway coming off the two losses. I'm a huge Max Holloway fan, um, so of course I feel almost biased when I say that uh, I don't think he lost this last fight. I think Alex clear cut, you know, probably won the decision in their first uh, their first meeting, just based on output, uh, octagon control, etc. I think the second fight, I think Max, I think Max should have won and got his title back. Um, I don't like Max Holloway versus Calvin Qatar just because and I, like I know this is gonna sound super biased is I don't want either one of them to lose <laughs> right. You, you know what I mean yeah. I what I would really like is uh, for Calvin to get maybe the winner of Zabit and Yair in a five round affair because I think I think truly I think if Zabit and Qatar would have went five rounds, I think that could have potentially be I'm, I'm with you. I think that would have been a whole different fight. Um, and you see Calvin's kind of one of those guys that uh, he's really starting to pull ahead as the dark horse I don't know man I don't know what to do with Max in this title picture now other than you know is is ortega and the korean zombie is that like a for sure thing
1: it's not because we just, zombie just doesn't know when he's going to be able to kind out of migrate out of korea so that's the big thing but i think ortega is sitting on the sidelines hoping that fight eventually materializes from all from looking at how the division is being matched you have to feel like the ufc is pretty much all in with doing that fight especially since they have the outside the cage issue as well where they've traded barbs on Instagram at the slap incident at the UFC event a couple months ago. I think in terms of the UFC, though, and I, I like your idea about you know uh, Calvin waiting for the winner, but I think if Zabit's able to get past the Yair, especially if he's able to dominate that fight or get a finish, I think the UFC's going to really angle to immediately try to get Zabit a title shot just because he does have that sort of following and he's starting to build a little bit of a fan base just based on his style and, I mean... With zero disrespect to Volkanovski, I don't think the UFC sees any dollar signs in him, and that's sort of the direction the sport has went over the year. Where you know they want the best fighter, no doubt. Not saying they don't, but if there's other guys with dollar signs on them, and when I look at the top five, I think Zabit might be the guy they sort of rely on, especially uh, with the Russian scene and the UFC is definitely wanting to get back into the Russian and Europe area. And they want a big name to do so. I wouldn't be surprised one bit if Zabit beats Yair Rodriguez at the end of August, they will try to book Alex and Zabit for the title sometime around December or January. That's just what I feel they're angling for when I look at the matchmaking.
0: I have to agree. I do. I do fully agree. I think that, uh, I think it's a beat in the title picture or challenging for the title. I think that's ultimately their goal right now because when you look at Zabit, you have a guy, and I've compared him a couple times on my podcast. I've compared him to Anderson Silva. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. right, because he has this—he has this incredible striking, but his his ground game is absolutely fucking deadly. Yeah, and you see you see the way he um, the way he he pressures people on top. It's just he he has this. I, don't know, I I can't describe it anything other than an Anderson Silva like quality about him, and I truly do like Zabit. beat. Um, I don't. I had that Calvin Kattar fight it just has me. I was on the Zabit hype train, and now I'm kind of on the fence because you've seen in the in the, the fight with uh, Kyle Bokniak, which was an incredible fight. You seen he kind of slowed down there at the end. You know what I mean? He kind of he didn't gas, but he did kind of slow down. I think if Kyle won. Around in that fight, it was it was definitely towards the third round that he uh, started, you know, finding his his range and picking his shots. Then um, you look at the Qatar fight, and Qatar's kind of the same way. Qatar had an incredible third round, so I'm on the I'm on the defense about those beat train. I think he beats Yair, um, a hundred percent. Which granted, I thought the Korean zombie was going to beat uh, Yair. So I'm kind of on the Zabit winning and then challenging Volkanovsky. I I just don't know about the rest of that division. That's a fun division right now.
1: Yeah, and the division's got some dark horses too. And Josh Emmett, you know, he's got the knee injury. And I think if, if he was healthy, that would definitely add a, a little bit of a wrinkle to what they could do with the division. But you have to think he's a, at least done for the rest of the year. Arnold Allen's an interesting guy. Guys like him and Shane Burgos. I know Shane lost to Emmett, but I think that's not such a bad loss when you, in terms of matchmaking. And as always, I mean, I, I still think when you look at some of the guys that don't get the main event hype or the attention, guys like Ryan Hall and guys like Bryce Mitchell and Sadiq Youssef, those guys are not anywhere close to the title picture, but you have to think if they get a big fight booked and they're able to get a big marquee finish win, uh, they could easily just jump into a mix of getting a big fight. And I mean, the the featherweight division, I think it's right there with bantamweight. They both kind of go back and forth in my mind of just the fights that produce the most excitement. And uh Just looking at, you know, I think, again, Volkanovski has got two split decision wins and one, you know, I I actually scored the same. I thought the first one was Volkanovski. I sort of thought it would go to Holloway just because you usually don't see champions lose split decisions, just kind of a thing. Second time around, thought the same thing. Thought Holloway won, but usually the champion gets the split, and that time it happened. So I, I don't know. I just think that Holloway needs a win, and looking at the division, I just don't know who you can match Holloway up with that would make sense, except for Calvin and giving them a five round main event somewhere. That's the only fight that I, I see that the UFC would do. I mean, again, if Josh Emmett was healthy, I, I would think Holloway and Josh Emmett would be a pretty fun contest. But when I look at the division, you know, Edson Barbosa and Jeremy Stevens are all right there in the mix. But again, both those guys need wins. So it's such a tough division in terms of figuring out. You know, who are you going to propel to the, to the to a big fight next? And, man, it's it's so fun just to look and think of the matchups. But I, I definitely think we're on the same page in terms of Zabit. I think, I mean, even in the fights he looked real good in, the Jeremy Stevens fight, he definitely was not near as sharp and fast towards the end. And it could have something to do with the fact that he doesn't fight very frequently. I mean, I'm sure that's... Got a little something to do with it as well. He's always been a guy that takes a little time between his fights. And he's just got a style. I mean, I don't know any fighter that could have his style and, and go crazy for, for 25 minutes in terms of a championship-style fight. I mean, Anderson Silva was, I, I love the comparison, but such a clean counter-striker. He was only aggressive when he's seen his openings. The beat sometimes gets a little wild in there. And I think that's kind of where his following lies. But, yeah, I, I definitely think... I would say Zabit's the favorite against Yair, but I think we've learned you can never count out Yair. Never until he's he's done. So I'm excited to see that fight. It's one of the fights I'm looking forward to the most in terms of August big fights.
0: You know what I just thought of? Is there's a potential
1: that we get a Shane
0: Burgos and Jeremy Stevens situation. Ooh, yeah. I, I've i been talking about Shane for, uh, for quite a while. Um, and actually, it's conveniently enough that we're talking about it. The fight that put me on to Shane... Uh, was the Calvin guitar loss Um, and I've I've been watching Shane ever since you know what he done to Mack Americani, I mean he just absolutely you bite down on the mouthpiece and you just fucking go off sometimes and that's exactly what he did Um, and Shane Shane's one of those people that I think Shane is literally just maybe a win or two away at any given moment from not only like being a contender, but from being a star too, because he has that almost Justin Gaethje like, um, like aura about him, like this violent aura. Like he, you know, with with Josh Emmett, that's undoubtedly one of the best fights of the year. And then you just you also you know you brought up Josh Emmett, who's also in a very tricky spot right now. Josh Emmett's thirty six years old, I think, and uh, one of the guys from Alpha Male was talking the other day. And he said that Emmett is going to be done in the next year to year and a half, I guess, depending on how this injury, or maybe uh, he said that before this the Shane Burgos fight. So depending now, you know, you have to look at the time you have to you have to take to rehab that leg. Um, but Emmett's definitely looking towards one last title run, and then uh, I guess dipping out. So then you you know you got to throw Emmett in the mix. Emmett matches up incredible with anybody in the top five. Um, it's we're, we're in such a weird place right now that a lot of these fights at featherweight are unfortunately going to be rematches.
1: Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I, really that's okay in terms of some of the guys. And, again, with Emmett, you wonder how long the injury is because that will really affect you know, what kind of fight he comes back to. Him. I mean, if he's able to somehow get a fight In January, you know, that's not too far away in terms of fight booking. So he would still, you would think, draw a big name opponent, maybe even. Uh, the loser of the the beat fight, or if uh, something happens with Chan Sung Jung and Ortega, you know, winner or loser of that fight, that could kind of be where Emmett lands. So that's sort of that gray area for when he returns. I mean, if he's out a full year, I mean, who knows what this division looks like next summer. I mean, you got guys right now with Frankie Edgar, I'm sure a lot of people didn't really understand if he was going to be a featherweight, if he was going to go to bantamweight, if he was going to, you know, where he was going to be. So that's a a tricky situation. And then, you know, Edson Barbosa is a guy who I like to throw in there. I mean, he's lost multiple fights in a row. He's 20 and 9, and a lot of people count him out, but you have to think he's going to be a challenge for anybody. I mean, if, if Barbosa and Emmett fought right now, I mean, it'd be hard to make Josh Emmett the favorite. Just based on, you know, how Edson is on his feet. So there's a lot of guys, and you mentioned Jeremy Stevens, and then Cub Swanson. Some of these veterans of the division could easily spoil some of the some of these up and coming guys. It just depends how the UFC wants to put them all together. Uh, Andre Feely's looked good. Even when he loses, you know, he puts on entertaining fights. And there's just so many names in the division that look like they could be title contenders. So, of course, the top five, top six, top seven are really jumbled up, and you don't know which direction to go. But I think in terms of some of these guys that are just outside the top ten, outside the top 15, make the division really probably the deepest in the UFC.
0: I, uh, so I'm, I'm Team Alpha Male for life, and I unfortunately forgot about my boy, Andre Feely. And then you well, you know when you think of Feely, you got to think of his last fight against uh, Charles Jordan, he knocked out the Korean Superboy. Mm-hmm. Charles Jordan is not that far from from establishing himself as a contender. And, you know, he knocked down Feely in their fight. Um, Featherweight's super exciting right now. Bantamweight's super exciting. Even even Lightweight, now that we have a bit of a stalemate at the top of the division, uh, you know, with Dustin Poirier fighting Dan Hooker not too long ago. You know, even you know Lightweight's exciting. I was telling somebody earlier today, um, somebody at work who isn't isn't—you believe it or not I have friends that aren't actually fight fans uh, which is so weird because I've immersed myself in the in the fight uh, world for so long now but I was telling him like right now is the best time to be a fan of this sport because we're watching A, we're watching history be made because have you seen the post that uh, has been flying around about the combined record of all of our UFC champions?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, and especially when you consider most of those losses are from guys' first five fights, and Jon Jones, you know, a disqualification. I mean, it's insane the level of record right now, and talent. But I mean, just the record alone is insane.
0: We have we have uh, currently we're currently watching, in my opinion, the best batch of fighters uh in the history of the sport and it's only going to keep getting better because like you mentioned we have these guys like bryce uh bryce mitchell i love bryce mitchell and i think bryce mitchell has the potential to become an absolute star just because you know who he reminds me of is a a bit of a matt hughes because he's he's real country uh you know he's you know a good he has a great ground game and he's just there's something about him that's just kind of funny you know know what i mean like you just want to hear what he has to say right uh, and then you have these guys like Sean O'Malley coming up in the ranks. Um, you have uh, you have females, Amanda Rebus, coming up, and it's just this is such a cool time to be a fight fan because of all the matches that you can make. Um, and then you know we're getting rid right of the Reebok deal at the end of this year. Venom's gonna gonna come in. That's gonna be awesome to see how that plays out we're fighting on Fight Island right now which i i'm kind of with you i think they're going to hold on to this and this is going to be a regular event um before we get into this Saturday's card how much longer do you think it's going to be until we actually have fans back at events Ooh. from a from a from a promoter matchmaker perspective because a lot of people don't actually get this perspective often
1: uh phew it's so tough because i mean it d- it depends on what they want to do I mean, do you, you want to wait until you can go all in? I think some sports are are are, are, are scared of doing the 25%, 50% thing. Like, I, I think, uh, who's doing that? NASCAR. NASCAR just sort of opened up. You know, uh, Bristol just had their race, and they allowed uh, 50% capacity, and I think some of their races are doing 25%. I think the NFL just announced that they're going to sort of do like a 50% thing, and uh, I'm, you know, I focused on high school sports here where I live, and, you know, they just announced that they're doing uh, – like 30% capacity, so, I mean, if you want to do something like that, I mean, the UFC could technically have fans probably by October, but if you want to wait just a little bit, I mean, if you could push maybe, and, and this is a risk, and... You'd want to build it up well and and hope that nothing bad happens. But if you can push off and maybe try to do some New Year extravaganza type show, I would think that would probably be the UFC's best bet. Try to do a show that first weekend of January and go all in, man. Bring out the checkbook. See if you can do a big fight. See if you can somehow maybe do... You know, Connor against someone, I mean, even if you could try to do McGregor and Masvidal and have a title fight on there somewhere and put some of your up-and-coming fighters on there, I mean, make it an extravaganza that fans want to come to because, again, you're going to have – I mean, if you just put on a title fight, and I'm, I'm not even going to throw one out there because I don't want to just throw someone under the bus, but, you know, I mean – take welterweight for example you can't do this big show and say all right fans you can come back and we're going to headline the show with Kamara usman against gilbert burns fans are going to risk you know their well-being and all that for a fight that they're not completely intrigued in but I mean if you do a big-time show and you did something like a McGregor Masvidal with the main event you know, Colby Covington against Tyron Woodley and had all your bright and up-and-comers a big fight for Sugar Sean you know on the main card and Reboss you mentioned throw her on the main card as well and you had all these these things that people want to see I think if you pushed off waited till sometime around January when you sort of envision things would clear up a little bit I think that would be from a promoter standpoint, what I would do if you are desperate to get fans back in in any way, shape or form, even if you do fifty percent capacity, I would think October you might be able to get something like that done.
0: I, I know this is a very um, and I, I was actually stumbling over the words trying to find how I'm gonna say this. I know this is very unpopular, but watching Justin Gagey and Tony Ferguson with no like no crowd, I think was probably the best treat of the year so far.
1: I've loved fights more with no crowds. I do too. I
0: 125% I like it with with no crowd. I think if if you wanted to do um if you wanted to do maybe uh, letting other fighters you know come and watch the fights, you know, kind of how they do on on Tough on the Ultimate Fighter, you know, cuz the the only people in that house watching the fights are essentially Dana, the judges, and then uh, you know doctors commission or whatever and it's just fighters. Right. So if you were if you were to open this up and maybe say okay, well fighters could come in, yeah, maybe that would be cool, but I still I like having no crowd. I like like I, I gave the example of uh, of Justin Gaethje and Tony Ferguson every shot that landed. Every shot that landed. It was like it was it was like a shot from a handgun. It was just loud. It was noisy. and I feel like when you watch a fight, um, it puts it in perspective a little bit more when you can hear everything. You know what I mean? The best thing about the Thrill and the Agony series that the UFC does on YouTube is you can hear uh, what's said in the cage. And for me, I like that. I remember Tony Ferguson fought Kevin Lee. You remember that fight? And and Tony stood up. He stood up in between rounds. And was talking shit to Kevin Lee. And on TV, you know, because we only hear we hear Joe, uh, we hear John, you know, we hear DC or 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 Dom or or Paul Felder, you know, whoever. We hear them on the on the dub that we hear on the TV. On the Thrill and the Agony, you know, they have cameras in the cage, and you can hear stuff like that. Well, now you don't even have to wait for the Thrill and the Agony to come out a week after the event. You can literally hear everything that they're saying to each other in real time. And I gave the example of Dustin, uh, Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. They had a little exchange after their fight, and that was cool to be able to hear that uh, in real time, you know. And and you know the example of the shots landing. Um, I really enjoy that. I like hearing the corners too. I know a lot of people probably don't get into that. I like hearing the corners and hearing what sort of adjustments they're because because I've been an MMA coach for so long uh when I watch a fight immediately I'm thinking, all right, all right, Justin Poirier should do this, all right, Dan Hooker should do this. I like hearing what the coach is telling them in real time. You know what I mean? So I think it makes it more intimate as a fight fan, uh, not having a crowd. And I, I enjoy it a lot more. Um but I do understand that it is a business. It's not just something that was put on this earth for my pleasure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So I understand that they have to have fans back and, you know, they've got to make their money and, and I understand that some fighters actually uh, enjoy that more.
1: Oh yeah. Now from a fight, now if I was in the cage, it would be very a very different aspect. I mean, that fan adrenaline, that fan rush is so much to a lot of these fighters. But I love the point you made about the cornering, and also when you look at some fights, I, I know not every, you know, some fights just aren't exciting. But at the end of the day, from probably both our perspectives, just being in the sport so long, I mean, there's nothing wrong with a good grappling exchange or guys really working on the ground. So to be able to see. More of that without the commentators talking about fans booing and the refs getting all shaky because fans are booing. That's been exciting too. I mean, even if you think to Usman and Masvidal, I mean, fans would have been losing their minds booing that fight. And again, it wasn't the most exciting fight in the whole world, but it was fun to just sit there and watch Usman do what he does and not hear just massive boos and worry that one of the, you know, the ref could have just got shaky feet and been like, oh God, I'm going to have to stand this up. Because I mean, there's no doubt that that happens when fans start throwing a fit. I mean, refs are are more likely to get trigger happy stuff. Stand people up, so it's been exciting from that aspect too. Is is you know seeing that these guys are still bloodthirsty to see some of these wild exchanges. Uh, Calvin and Inge had had some great exchanges. Tim Elliott and uh, Ryan Benoit had great exchanges. To just see those guys be able to just go do that without fans going crazy, I mean that's just a wild thing. So I mean I I, I like you said the gate and everything I know is costing the UFC tons of money. But from just the die-hard fight fan in me, it's not bothered me one bit. If anything else, I mean, I would go a step further. I wish there was a way to turn commentators off just so I could hear the fight, full and full, like on the Ultimate Fighter. But, you know, like you said, from a gate standpoint, I mean, the minute they can get fans back, I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC tries to pull the trigger on it as soon as possible. Even they may even try to be the first. One hundred percent capacity sport because you know how Dana is. He wants to be the first at a lot of things. He may try to be the first one hundred percent capacity sport, and I wouldn't be surprised one bit if they try to do that late this year.
0: I wouldn't be either. I'm I'm with you. I we know how Dana is. Um, I think I have another unpopular opinion. Uh, I actually kind of like Dana, and I'm actually I'm genuinely hoping he writes a book before he's done. Yeah, 100 percent. I I want to. He doesn't have to expose secrets, but I want, like, I just want to know uh, his thoughts. You know you know what I mean? Like, I just think he is one of these characters, almost as much as a fighter. Fighters sell
1: fights. Dana White can sell fights. Oh, yeah. No, I think Dana White is as close to a, uh, I mean, like you said, a, a good word for it is, is character. And I mean, he's done a lot for, again, now, he's not everybody's favorite, and um, he's he's done a lot of things that are per se questionable and said questionable things, but he's not afraid to bite his tongue. And for a lot of people's money, that's uh, something good. I mean, sometimes you wish, you know, different guy, different commissioners and different sports would come out and just say what they want to say, and they don't do that. But at times, of course, you know, I just I don't always understand throwing fighters under the bus and, and all that. And but again, that's kind of putting on the promoter hat where I just you know the only thing that bothers me is. You know I'll take Dana's side, it's the money thing I mean these fighters look at their contracts they read it over they show their managers they sign it one fight later they go I'm unhappy with my money like man you signed the contract but uh yeah I'm I actually agree I, I like Dana I don't always think it's a good idea to throw fighters under the bus when you know fighters aren't making near as much money as I think a lot of people think they do in terms of how much they pay managers and how much I mean you you know how much it costs to you know run a gym and how fighter fees and gym fees and all that stuff adds up. But uh, I, I would love to. I mean you mentioned a book. I think with all you know we're in the documentary craze. I think a documentary around Dana's upbringing and getting into the sport and then going from a manager right to promoter right to, I mean, almost at times the face of the sport. I, I don't know if you agree with that, but I think at times he's been the face of the sport. I even think the first, 100%. You know, the first ESPN promo, I think he was in the beginning and he was in the end. It wasn't a fighter, it was him. So that's pretty wild to have a guy. But I mean, he's done the sport really without Dana. You know, who knows where it'd be now? So I think that's a big thing. Of course, you give so many fighters credit and that's how it should be, but Dana's aggressiveness his aggressive approach to different things have definitely taken the sport to places a lot of people never thought it'd go
0: i 100 agree i think i think in a lot of ways he is he's not the face of the sport i think no matter how long um in between fights for conor mcgregor and no matter what he does outside of the cage it seems it doesn't matter he is Uh, Whether we love it or hate it, I think he is potentially the face of our sport. Um, I think Dana is right up there with him, though. In maybe this Mount Rushmore type of situation, I think you have to throw Dana on there. Uh, I think you have to throw Chuck Liddell on there. I think Anderson Silva probably deserves a spot. John Jones and then, you know, Ronda and and Connor, if I... You know, if I just have to think right off the top of my
1: head, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a uh, – the route, the Mount Rushmore question always gets me because it's, it's hard to pick four. I mean, like you mentioned John Jones, and I think in turn – now, if we're building a Mount Rushmore based on talent and their performance in the UFC, I mean, John might be the first head I put up there, but, you know, I think the UFC never – honestly, that's one of the things I think the UFC almost dropped the ball in. I mean, they – before he started getting in trouble, the USC still never pushed him as really this super guy, and they should have because I mean he was, I mean you, got, I mean when you break down and look at it, dude's got the same sort of Khabib thing going on where I mean he's really unbeaten. Of course, the Dominic Reyes and Alexander Gustafsson fight, people you know always throw it, but at the end of the day, we've never seen John beaten. So, but in terms of faces of the sport, I don't even know if I put John on there. I mean, I think uh you know dana probably should go on there even if he's got like a little thing above the four fighters uh, but i think connor ronda i would then go i think i would either man they'll see those last three i'll I'll throw in an extra it would either be connor ronda for the new era for the most recent era and then chuck and tito maybe I hate leaving George Saint Pierre out. I really do. I know, but I know. I, I would. I would mean Chuck and Tito really changed the way, you know, they brought they really merged hardcore and casual fans together and really changed the way, changed the sport from kind of being this underground thing to this mainstream, you know, sport we look at today. Without Chuck and Tito, that's not there. So that's that's probably where I'd go. Again, I hate leaving GSP out, but I think you know. The, the ronda evolution of course changed the whole sport as well and then connor you can argue there's never been a bigger star and then i just I, I love george st pierre and you know canadian mma i mean you might put his head up there four times but in terms of just the ufc in general i, I think chuck and tito have to be on there as well
0: you know who, who we left off you know on both of our lists are forrest griffin and Stephen bonner
1: oh yeah who deserve
0: who deserve just as much credit uh, as as maybe Chuck or maybe even as as let's say Connor just because of the fact that uh, you know the UFC wasn't doing it's not always done well. We're in this time now where the UFC is doing absolutely incredible. But I remember when when my dad first started watching, um, it was like a little sideshow almost. And then Forrest and and Stefan really put it on the map, and then it was accentuated by Chuck. And Randy Couture, because they were they were the the coaches of that season. Yeah,
1: they were the top um, guys as well. And I actually that was where I loved the sport. I mean, I watched the Ultimate Fighter before I ever watched an actual UFC event. I watched the Ultimate Fighter, so that's really where my love came from. And I'm a huge Forrest Griffin fan, I mean, he's my favorite fighter of all time. And, I mean, that's the thing about the Mount Rushmore question. I mean, you could throw – I mean, you mentioned Randy Couture just now. I mean, how can you leave Randy Couture off the list? I mean, he's a two-division champion, was Captain America for goodness sakes. I mean, there's always going to be so many guys to throw out there. And, uh, I mean, it's a it's a list that can can go on forever. And who knows, in, in five or so years there could be a new guy that comes out and takes the sport even further than we see it now. So that's always going to be a tricky list.
0: It really is. It really is. It's one of those hypothetical questions that I always love thinking about, just because it can go so many
1: different ways. Oh yeah, and I mean, especially when you think back. Cause, I mean, you could. Go, I mean, Hoist Gracie. How can we not put Hoist Gracie on there? I mean, my goodness, he was the the first big MMA UFC star. So I mean, it's just there's so many names. Can Shamrock? You could even throw out there. And you mentioned Anderson Silva, and again, greatest champion maybe of all time. And if you want to go into the lighter weights, you got Jose Aldo. I know here lately the DJ, of him. DJ I mean, when I mean, you talk of the best fighters ever, how can you not mention Demetrius Johnson? So, again, there's there's no right or wrong answer. Well, there's wrong answers, but there's no real right answer in terms of who you want to put on that list. I mean, that's, that's such a tough thing. I mean, I can't even imagine sitting down having to do my top ten guys. I mean, it would be so just near impossible to, to do that. So <laughs> if I can't do ten, I definitely can't do four.
0: Yeah, that's, I'm the same way. I, I really can't pick. Um, so over the weekend, we
1: mentioned it a moment ago, over the weekend
0: was the uh, Joseph benavidez Davison Figueredo title rematch for the vacant flyweight title. Uh, the uh, main card fired off with Asker. I, I always get these names. I'm always so timid to pronounce these names because I know I'm going to mess them up. But, um I guess Oscar, Oscar, Oskarov. I actually watched uh, On Mute because my daughter fell asleep. So um, I have no idea how to pronounce this name, but it's Askarov and uh, Alexandre Pentonia. What did you – did you watch that fight? Did you did you catch it? it was the decision that yeah. led the main card off, yeah?
1: Yeah, I did. Askaroff had a uh, – I mean, he's a, a strong wrestler, and he used that to his advantage. And that first round was wild. I mean, Panjolia had such good scrambles. I mean, they were some of the best grappling scrambles I've seen in that first round. And at that point, I thought, man, you know, Askaroff is a – uh, a really straightforward style wrestler and grappler. I mean, almost to where it's, he's a grinder, a more exciting grinder. I know that's kind of got a, a negative connotation in terms of mixed martial arts, but, you know, he, he's a very good a good guy kind of breaking your will. That first round, man, Pandoya kept – sweeping and, and scrambling out of some beautiful positions, some beautiful wizards. To I mean, he, one time somehow they ended up almost from half guard with Askarov on top to a wild sweep to where then, Pandoja had his back, and it was such a clean thing. But Askarov kept pushing forward, and it was a controversial decision. I actually didn't – I thought Pandoja may get the decision just because of his work in that opening round and then how sharp he looked on his feet. But he slowed down a little bit, and Askarov landed some nice punches in that final frame, and he ended up getting the decision. Uh, I I don't think Askarov's a title contender yet, but was definitely – I was definitely impressed by both of them in the fight. You know, the flyweight division was one that I – I mean, I would fully admit I really thought after what happened with Demetrius and then Cejudo wanting to go to Bantamweight, I mean, I really thought maybe time to kind of shut down this bad boy and just tell these guys move up to 35 or, you know, you'll have to go fight for another promotion because, I mean, they're not big names, but, I mean, hey, it paid off. I mean, we'll talk about Figueroa in a little bit, but, I mean, you got some guys in this division who really look like they, they could be some tough challenges for people ahead of them and some fun fights to watch.
0: I agree 100%. I I was very curious as to uh, the direction of the flyweight uh, division, especially the controversy after the very first uh, Figueiredo and Benavides fight. You know, with, with Figueiredo missing weight and then still winning, um, you know, winning the fight, and then the belt still vacant at this point. Um, you know what's like a really like, what a factor that I look at is, like, coming from a wrestling background, I look at, uh, and I know it's, like, kind of dumb to look at it, but total uh, takedown attempts, right? Askarov attempted 15 takedowns. He secured two of them, like, on paper, right? But when you actually think about this, over a 15-minute period, you, you essentially attempted one takedown a minute. Um, I just... I was I was kind of with you, like I thought that the uh, the Pantonia first round was a like was enough to uh, maybe edge it out. These man, these Russian grapplers.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're, it, they're it, essentially taking over. It's a different style. I mean, it's really like that top-heavy style, which again was the reason I was so impressed with what Pendeoia was gonna do because I mean those guys are so good on top. I mean, it's near impossible to get them off of you, period. But to be able to sweep and get an advantage position was so impressive. And I really thought that would be enough. Uh, but Askarov landed some real good strikes as well. And, I mean, this is a guy who uh, you know he has I think he might be deaf in one ear so he doesn't hear real well in the cage but he was able yeah, yeah, yeah. he was able to really start landing some good clean shots later in that frame and uh, the crazy thing is I think the final 3 minutes of the fight was on the feet so then you take that into the takedown count I mean that man was doing all that in about two and a half rounds of work because the last little bit was on their feet just exchanging and Askarov was getting the better of that especially in the third round so it was a very good win and uh, again you know even in a loss I think there were some good things there from Pendoza as well if that was going to be kind of a to see who moves into the top uh, what is that five of the flyweight division kind of see who gets a big fight next you know Tim Elliott had a big win over the weekend so you know that could be a potential matchup. Or Tim Elliott, I think, won on the Wednesday card. So, I mean, that could be a potential match down the road. I mean, there's some good things. Askarov Askarov beat Tim Elliott before this fight. So he's got a couple things to play with in that flyweight division.
0: And that's another one of those things. Tim Elliott's a a veteran and uh, rematching Askarov. I mean, that's that's a good fight on paper. uh, That's an excellent fight. And what I was mentioning about these Russian grapplers, they are so uh what's the word they're so like they're they're smothering oh yeah you know they're they stick to you and they really wear you out and it really says something about both fighters when um when 15 takedowns are attempted and you're still slugging it out the last three minutes of of the, the last round um i mean it was a good showing from both guys and and i I'm really curious uh, to see where this division goes. You know, you've got Brandon Marino, who I I don't think can be denied the title shot against Figueiredo, But, um, I mean, you're right. Askarov puts himself maybe not at the number one contender spot, but he definitely holds himself. He definitely holds his own in the top five. you, you know what I'm saying? Like,
1: yeah, oh yeah. He's, he's definitely strong. And you got to remember, Ascarol's got a draw with Moreno as well, so that kind of gives him some growing power there, so whoever Ascarol fights next could potentially be a number one contender fight if you think about putting him with someone like Alex Perez or even an up-and-cover, someone who's looked good lately. Uh, Pavia had a big win uh, just a couple of weeks ago or maybe at the beginning of Fight Island, so uh, the flyweight division is one of those, I mean, you can go so many different ways, and I mean, the UFC could always sign someone sort of out of nowhere that could be considered a title challenger. I uh, no they got a few guys who have some really solid records who we just don't know very well yet in terms of what they've done in the UFC so that'll be an interesting thing to watch going forward and I even have heard rumors that Demetrius Johnson's contract with 1FC is up at the end of the year and that there could be some open things going on there in terms of you know what Demetrius and what 1FC want to do going forward so that's something just to keep an eye on especially since Figueroa could kind of have some name value increasing over the next few months.
0: I actually heard that very same rumor, and I wasn't for sure uh, the legitimacy about it. Um, the fight after uh, the askarov pantoya fight, Ariane Lipsky, who uh, what is her nickname? The Queen of Queen Violence. Queen of Violence. violence. Yep. Queen. Yes, and she goes out and secures a submission in a minute and twenty-eight seconds. Um, I was Ooh. impressed. I was, I was on this 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 Lipsky bandwagon um, a couple months ago and you know she she's a 13 and five record you know she's lost since since she came to the UFC with the nickname queen of violence you expect uh, fireworks on the feet and for her to uh, have some stumbles in the past and then secure a first round uh, a knee bar of all things right in a minute and 28 seconds I'm very excited to see where she goes from here.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't just a knee bar. It was a nasty knee bar. I mean, she had that thing all tied up, almost almost looked like a modified calf-slicing position. And then she turned it such an awkward angle, it was hard to watch. But when you think of, you know, who Lipsy's lost to, I mean, the JoJo Cotterwood fight back in, I think that was early 2019 or, yeah, I think January 2019, and then Molly McCann, who had a tough loss over the weekend, but nonetheless, I mean, McCann's sort of just a right at you style fighter and likes to grapple and grind. I mean, Lipsky, like you said, she's just a queen. I mean, she just wants to go out there and just go, 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 and she's got some amazing skill. And, and with her aggressiveness, I think it showed a new wrinkle, being able to get in that sort of awkward position with Carolina, but be able to find a slick submission on the ground. And you know, she's. So very aggressive and wild, and she comes right at you, and at times that really hurts you in stylistic fights. But in terms of the UFC saying, "Man, we want to do a lot more with her," I mean, this was a a good showing. And you know, when you look at the women's division, when you look really, besides maybe straw weight, straw weight might be the one weight class that's not like this, but flyweight and bantam weight. One slick win, one slick submission or finish can get you from, you know, borderline top 15 to top five. So I think Lipsky's got the style where I would not be surprised one bit if she's fighting another big name at Flyweight here anytime in the next two months or so.
0: Oh, 100%. Well, not, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think that, um, I think she has this, this, you know, cause she's beautiful. She's a beautiful girl, but she fights. It, every time I see her, she gets better. And I think that, uh, with that marketability, I think that she'll definitely be, um, maybe not the face of this division, you know, cause she still has a lot of work to do. Um, but I think that she, she can definitely be up there. I think that she, I, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think, you know, you're always one or two good wins away from the title contention. It's nothing against the women's division whatsoever, um. But it, it is because they haven't been around as long as the men's divisions. Um, so I do think that maybe there's not a lack of competition. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it.
1: Well, one of the thing is maybe. you just sort of want to clear things out. I mean, if you look at the top five, uh, well, maybe even like top eight. Of the flyway division, I mean, they're girls that have all really had their shot at the top and either, you know, not fought well against Shevchenko or have, you know, all sort of fought each other. I mean, when you think about, you know, Chukaki, and she's just one fight removed from fighting Valentina Shevchenko, but I really think she's probably the number one contender. And it wasn't like she was competitive against Valentina, it's just she's beat the girls right below her. And with Cynthia Calvillo, she moves right up from strawweight, beaches sky, and now she's the number three flyweight in the world, you know, according to the rankings. And JoJo Caudill just lost to Chukeyan, but she's supposed to get the next title shot. But she's gonna take a short notice fight instead, just because she don't know when she's fighting. So, I mean, there's that. I mean, I get exactly what you're saying, and I think that's where the USC's come in. I mean, that's why you know Macy Barber, the USC put, they were all in. I mean, they were probably hoping she would fight for a title this year. And it just didn't work out that way. Pushed her a little bit too fast. But I think that's where people like Amanda Rivas and people like uh, Talia Santos, who beat McCannio last week, and then Lipsky, I mean, really, they're just looking for someone to just emerge from the mix so they can say, boom, there she is. Let's get her a big fight. Let's see if we can get her in the top top ten, top five.
0: I agree. I agree. And I think that because the, the top five is um, – at, I mean, at this point, they are like you. You kind of said it. Jessica I, who just lost to Cynthia Calvillo. Then you take uh, Caitlin Chukagian, who yeah, I'm with you. In my opinion, she is the rightful number one contender, but she just lost to uh, Valentina in a very dominant uh, <laughs> a very dominant loss. Uh, you take Calderwood, who Calderwood's fighting Maya, correct? Yes, is that? okay yeah so they're right there if you're looking at pure rankings there's your three and your four uh, ranked fighters and I actually like this on Joanne Calderwood's uh, part because in my mind she's doing exactly what a contender should be doing right now she's staying busy she's keeping her name in the in the, the mind of the fans um, Jennifer Maya is no walking the park no That's, that is a very yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good that's gonna be a good fight. And if you if you look at the records, I mean, Jennifer Maya has four KOs and four submissions. Uh, Jojo kind of came into the UFC being known as a striker. Jojo only has five KOs. She has one submission. You know, this is on paper a very uh, closely contended fight. I didn't mean to cut you off
1: there. No, I mean I agree. I was just gonna say it's it's a good fight if she wins, but it's a bad move if she loses because I mean. All in all, I mean, she was owed a title shot. And you, from all, from everything that I had heard and read, I mean, she was going to get the title shot. Just, they were just waiting for Valentina to get fully cleared. And I guess maybe JoJo's just been training, just said, look, I got to, I got to do something. And I don't know, I don't even know what happened to Valentina. Is a hip or or something. So, and she's still not cleared as of now. So, with that, you know, I mean, that's just one of those situations we've seen a lot over the years. I mean, if JoJo goes in there and smokes Maya or, you know, gets a pretty dominant win, then it's all good. And she can, you know, propel herself to officially being, you know, the number one contender. But if something happens, if it's a controversial fight or if she goes in there and gets hurt, I mean, you have to wonder if, if there goes her title fight and the UFC will move quickly forward with again. Or you got to know that Cynthia Calvillo, I mean, she, she could be waiting mm-hmm. on a title shot as well just based on beating Jessica guy So that's the only thing I was going to say is just I think JoJo's fight is, I mean, that's one of those risky fights where, is the risk greater than the reward? Kind of way to look at it.
0: Um, you also got got to take into perspective too. Um, you know, like you said, Cynthia Cynthia is right there, and I know that she mentioned um, that she wanted to, I guess, take one more fight before she challenged for the title. I don't know if did you hear that that interview as well? I did. Uh, um, and she, you know, she's training in AKA now, which I think is a perfect fit for her. Um. But you have girls like like uh, like Jesse Rose Clark, and you have you know Roxanne Modafferi who just lost to Lauren Murphy. You kind of have to wonder in in the UFC's eyes, you know, they were boosting up Macy Barber. Well, Roxanne takes her out, well, then Lauren Murphy just beat Roxanne. So what do you do with Lauren Murphy at this point? Um, it's an ever evolving division, and I I wasn't trying to offend any any lady listeners out there by saying that the competition wasn't as good. It's just that um, there isn't as many female fighters I guess is what I should say there isn't a, it, the roster isn't as deep for women as it is for the men's division because the UFC hasn't always had female fighters um, and I, I do agree like you are always one good win two good wins away from securing yourself I just can't see anybody dethroning Shevchenko.
1: No, not in terms of F contenders right now. I mean, it'll take someone who has to neutralize her her fully and I would really honestly, and this is one of those rare times where I would really throw a little bit of the blame on the UFC. I think they just do not a very good job promoting up and coming women fighters. I think that they pick and choose and of course Macy Barber got the bid. You know, they they really went all in with her and it backfired. But I mean we just don't get as many features on, on female fighters and especially up-and-comers. I mean, the UFC headlined that show with Calvillo and, and I, and they're headlining a fight here soon with Holly Holm uh, in – I forget who she's fighting now, but she's headlining a show uh, against uh, – Uh, Canceled. Oh, she's not fighting Danya now?
0: No, it, it got canceled. Okay. Uh, the, the new main event – I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, the new main event is um,
1: – Oh, gosh. My. It's, it's, it's uh, Derek Brunner. Uh, yeah. The, Brunson and, and Shabazi, yeah, it's middle, a three-round, yeah. I did hear that, actually. Okay. But again, I mean, that just sort of shows me the UFC is – is, is al- it's always weird how they pick and choose which, which fights they want to headline and, and fully promote. Like, I mean, I would have no problem if the UFC put a big card together – you know, I mean, a pretty strong main card, but then headlined, I mean, say, well, I know we're in a pandemic, but I mean, if the USC went to Brazil, I mean, why don't you headline Lipsky against Rebos at flyweight? If Reboss wants to stay at flyweight, I know she could go down to 115, but I mean, you should want to build some of these girls up by giving them the the headlining spot. I mean, Lord Murphy is, you know, on a winning streak, but I mean... You're just going to rub the fans the wrong way if you want to headline Lauren Murphy against Cynthia Calvillo. It's just not one of those fights people are going to really go all in for five rounds for. I mean, I've always thought the UFC did a really weird – it was really weird the way they headlined and promoted different fights in the women's division. Of course, you know they've really picked and choose who they want to headline. I mean, Valentina Shechenko should be the face of women's MMA, and Amanda Nunes should have been the face two years ago. And they're just now really starting to push her. I mean, really over the last year, they've really been like, okay – This girl is pretty legit, and now it's to the point where people aren't even buying in because there's nobody left for her to fight. So it's always been a weird thing about the women's division that I've never understood. And I mean, them even having a featherweight division is the craziest thing because I I can't name one fighter in the UFC women's featherweight division. I'd consider myself a a pretty pretty big diehard fan, and I mean, besides Nunez and Felicia Spencer, I mean – uh, that's that's about all I got. So I, I just always... Oh, no. Yeah, I just always no. blamed that for the UFC. <clears throat> My girl, Megan Anderson. Megan Anderson. I knew I was missing one.
0: Oh, we can't disrespect our, our girl, Megan Anderson. But no, I I 100% agree with you. I, I didn't understand the featherweight division, and I think that partially that was um maybe the cyborg effect, <laughs> and they were wanting to, you know... You know, they were finally kind of
1: maybe feeling bad that they've that they've there's kind no, of
0: dicked around Cyborg for so there's long. No, you know? There's no
1: partially about it. It was probably 100% <laughs> Cyborg.
0: Um, and I mean, we've seen how that turned out. Amanda Nunez dethroned Ronda Rousey, Chris Cyborg, and then Holly Holm all in the same year. Before that, she dethroned Misha Tate. How how are they not promoting her? They gave her a Modelo commercial. Okay, it's cool. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I agree with you. I do think that their, their marketing is a little iffy. And what really worries me now is that maybe... Uh, I, I kind of see the wheels turning a little bit. And I think that they're doing it to Rebus now. You know, she was at the fight the other night. She got to sit with Dana and watch the fight. And I'm just kind of worried. Okay... This this could potentially it could be good because you know Rebus has a, a bit of star power and and her judo at this point um she might be the female uh, what is his name Chaz Kelly right, right. He's, a, he, he's a he's a he's a badass judo fighter and she could be you know the female uh, Chaz Kelly with 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 her judo but. It almost makes you kind of worry because the UFC is notorious for um, blowing up these these up and coming fighters. You know the Darren Teals, um, the uh, you know for for the, the sake of this conversation, let's say Ronda Rousey. Right. Right. Even though we didn't truly know, let's just go ahead and throw Ronda Rousey out there. But the Darren Teals. Uh, ronda rousey's they they take these people and then they blow them up and they kind of diminish their own star power accidentally um i i could actually argue this all day i think that the the marketing strategy for most fighters is pretty terrible on the ufc's part
1: yeah i mean i agree and i mean i made a rebus i mean the thing is about her is she's already really fought all these dangerous girls. I mean, when you think of her last three wins, Mackenzie Dern was one they were kind of pushing. She had the jiu-jitsu background. Of course, she's a looker as well. Rebos comes in there and beats her. Randa Marcos, who's got such a just... Her style is really hard to counter, and Rebos gets gets the job done against her. And then, of course, Paige. I mean, really, it was almost like the UFC tried to make it look like they were promoting a Paige Van Zandt fight, but I really think in reality it was them going... Page don't want to sign a new contract, we'll put her against this girl that we know is a killer and we think could be the next face of the division, but we won't tell her that, we'll just, and you know, Paige obviously knew but going in that fight I think you know anyone who thought Paige Vance had the advantage based on who she's fought or anything just didn't really understand the matchup. So for Reboss, I mean really she should, she's in a position now where I mean it, it's it I would be fine with them pulling the trigger and promoting her. I mean you you mentioned Lord Murphy earlier. I think that'd be a good place to go, but I think Reboss if she drops back down to strawweight, that division gets even stronger and you have so many talented females at strawweight. So I mean that division can go so many different ways, and, and Reeboks would be a good choice if they're really trying to find some people to promote. But, I mean, you know, we started this conversation talking about Lipsky, and I really think she's one as well. I mean, just with her style, you don't have to go all in with her, but, I mean, you can have some good fights with Lipsky booking-wise. I mean, uh, Jillian Robertson is a girl who's looked outstanding. She's got the loss to Macy Barber, but she puts on fun fights. I mean, there's so many ways if you want to bring her up slower or if you want to bring her up and sort of just – you know, give her a big test. I mean, you got a lot of fighters who are veterans who are, are looking for some some tough matchups. So Lipsky could could really fit anywhere into that flyweight division.
0: I 100% agree.
1: Um, I just I really have this
0: problem when they when they promote and kind of push too soon. Um, it it really bums you out because you you got to think of how many potential matchups you lose out on. I really like the idea of Rebus going to straw weight, and I like the the idea of her staying exactly where she's at. I like that that Lauren Murphy fight you just mentioned. I think that's a pretty good fight. Um, it's just it's such a weird division. It's a weird division because you have all these people, but you kind of don't know what to do with them.
1: Oh yeah, well the US, I mean <laughs> That's what happens with the UFC. He's got a roster of thousands of fighters. I mean, you just have so many. That it's hard to book any division. I mean I, I mean that's why they have I think they have like five matchmakers now, so I mean that's gotta be one of the toughest gigs. I mean it, it it looks fun on paper, but when you're doing that with so many fighters and then you get to this point where, my goodness, you know, who do you who do you give who to? I mean that's gotta be a tough a tough gig.
0: It's almost like we need we all need our own little whiteboard for the baseline MMA matchups. Oh yeah. And we just all we just all write on our our whiteboard and, and submit them to each other. Oh yeah. Uh, um, moving forward with the card, this was my favorite fight on the card, the uh, the Fiziev, uh, Mark Jukaysi fight.
1: Yeah, this was a uh, Matrix style fight where Fiziev kind of come out and look like he's he's a legit guy. I mean, eight and one or his record before the fight, seven and one. You. He didn't really think much about it. And uh, Mark DeCasey is one of those guys who at one time was what we mentioned was kind of getting that that push to be the guy and then just ran into three really outstanding prospects in a row and sort of he fell off. But you got to think, I mean, you look at his last couple of fights, Joe Duffy and against um, the guy from Jackson's team uh, against Lando. I mean, he, he looked very good and then just had a string of bad luck where he didn't get any fights in 2020 until this one. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was a, a wild, fun stand-up fight. and I know we talked earlier about fans not being there. I mean, then There's fights like these where I wish fans were there, because this would have been a fun fight to watch with fans.
0: He lost to, uh, speaking of Martin Jacasy, he lost to a uh, featherweight, uh, Dan Hooker, you mentioned. That was in his three-fight, uh, his little three-fight skid. I didn't know this going into this fight, but Rafael Fiziev is uh peter yawns kickboxing coach yeah he too yeah 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 that was i thought that was really cool he um you know it's a it's a viral moment and i love when the ufc gets these little viral moments because i i love this sports like i like i love this sport so much that i want it to grow and it's from guys like Fiziev doing the fucking entering the matrix to to avoid the kick um you get these awesome viral moments I think he showed up. I think he showed out, and I think he—he, he, I mean, he kind of does put himself right there as maybe not a contender at lightweight, but certainly a fun guy to match up with anybody at lightweight. And I would even go so far as to say that Martin Jacey doesn't really lose any star power. Not that he—he, he, I mean, not saying he doesn't have star power not saying he had a whole lot before this fight but he was one of those guys you know we were just talking about where he was kind of getting the push for a little bit i don't really think he loses a lot uh with a loss to Fiziev
1: no and you know what you get to you know get back to the men's divisions Really, it's almost like there's different groupings in each division where you have your title contenders and you have your up-and-comers, but then you have the, I don't really know how I'd word it, the just fun guys where, I mean, you can really do whatever you want with them, and I think both these guys are sort of in that bracket where you can go any direction you want with any of them, and make some fun fights. I mean, Bobby Green's got a a big-time record, but, I mean, you think about him against either one of these guys, whether you want to put, you know, since he's got, you know, what, 35, almost 40 professional fights. I mean, Bobby Green uh, against Fizyev would be a fun fight, even though Fizyev's 8-1. If you want to go a little bit slower, you look at a guy like uh, Brad Riddle, who's 8-1 and 2-1 in his last, or 2-0 in his UFC fights. a different stylistic matchup, but, I mean, there's so many different ways you can go. And, you know, that's one of the fun things about when you look at some of these bigger divisions that have fighter upon fighter upon fighter. I mean, you can go so many places uh, with how you want to build a guy up. I mean, do they, do, you know, do they, does the UFC see Fiziev as a contender or do they see him as, whoa, this guy's going to give us a fight at the night almost any time he's in there? Because I really think the UFC looks at stuff like that and match makes accordingly. So if they look at a guy and they see big time, you know, contender. Uh, a lot of times I think, you know, the UFC sees guys who wrestle well and strike well, and they think, well, he could be a contender. But I think they have a whole other group. Probably, you know, if the UFC matchmakers have a whiteboard, I bet they have a whiteboard of contenders and a whiteboard of fight of the night contenders. And I think both these guys are on there, and I think both these guys will get pretty marquee fights next as well. And, you know, I think he's not a contender, but we'll probably get good main card spots because the UFC sees, well, this is going to be fireworks anytime either one of them fight.
0: I, I have to agree. I, I've spent a lot of this podcast agreeing with you, but um, that just goes to show you are a very good addition to baseline MMA. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I do agree. I, I do think that now, I think the UFC could look at, at Rafael Fiziev and say, okay, uh, maybe this card is lacking. Um, maybe this card is potentially lacking a fight of the night. Let's throw this guy on here with, and you mentioned Bobby Green who conveniently fights at lightweight, that would be a fun fight all the way around, you know. Um, we have a guy fighting this upcoming Saturday uh, in Cowboy Oliveira, who um, – is Cowboy – is he fully at, at light, uh, welterweight now?
1: I think he moved up, but I don't know if he moved up permanently or if it's just sort of – The short notice things. I mean, all these fights are kind of short notice now, but I know he's fought a few times at both. So I think he's probably one of those guys where, as I mentioned again, if you're not a contender, you can kind of fight wherever you want. So if he's in that fight of the night bracket, you can just pick a fight and just say whatever way you want.
0: And see, that's one of those things where I think just from seeing that performance, I think Fiziev would have a good fight with Oliveira. Um, I'm really excited to see where he goes, especially with the success of, of Peter Yan, you know, and it, it goes to show that um, it can be said that not all coaches are going to be world-class fighters. You know, and we have... I don't want to use this as, as an example. Uh, Peter Yan is the champion of the Vantamweight division, and his coach is 8-1, um, you know, uh, fighting. He, he fought, what, he was like the third fight of the of the main right, card? Yep. You know, so... So it it's one of those things where um, if you're a fan of Peter Yawn, this is kind of the guy that that is is guiding him and, and I guess kind of leading him uh, by the hand. So it kind of makes you want to tune into this guy and and just from that fact alone that he is Peter Yawn's coach, I'm very curious as to what he's going to do. Um, and I just I think he I think he had a phenomenal showing to the point where you can look at it as a win um, when even if you lose a fight you still have people wanting to watch you oh yeah right oh yeah where in this case in this case he won the fight but now people are curious and now I think people are gonna tune in you know what's a very similar story is uh, uh Chimayev, right? right oh, yeah oh yeah right he's another one of those those guys who who is you know conveniently fighting this Saturday as well Um oh but he's another one of those guys where he he came in, he won his fight, and now, you know, he just has that that kind of the power where you just want to see what he does next. And I think that's probably the best thing about Fight Island so far is it's it's ballooning um maybe ballooning's the wrong word. It's it's giving a lot of these people a little bit more star power than they probably would have got anywhere else. Um but I, I really I enjoyed that fight. I thought it was a very good fight. Um I, I thought Fiziev won, but I definitely thought Jacasey, you know, cause Jacasey has that, that kind of power to put anybody out at any given moment. Um you know, he wasn't never um out of that fight, if that makes sense.
1: No, I think I think he was a little flashier while Fiziev hit a little harder and I think that really showed at times a lot of his strikes Knocked Dick Casey back, which Dick Casey's always had that bad habit of of being so light on his feet and flashy that at times he looks like he's kind of stumbling all around. And I think that hurt him because Fiziev throws hard. I mean, all his shots. I mean, there was a slow motion kick to the body where I think everybody watches, sort of grab their ribs and kind of disgust because I mean it was a powerful kick. But I mean, there's there's the Fight Island thing you mentioned is is so true and it gives these fighters an opportunity to fight on this platform, but also. I can't remember who it was. One of the fighters said they want to be a company man. I don't know if this was Saturday or or last Wednesday, but he said, you know, I want to be a company man, and I want to fight whenever they need me, whatever weight class. And, I mean, that is, that's UFC right up their alley. They're looking for guys like that. And, you know, during a pandemic, you know, the UFC has struggled to book cards in advance. So, I mean, really, every fight we're watching right now is essentially, I'd say 90% of the fights we're seeing are essential short-notice fights so if you're a guy who's willing to have a quick turnaround if you're a guy who's willing to go out there and just just put on a show win lose or draw that's gonna get that's gonna be your big money so I mean getting fight the night during fight island I mean that's gonna be so big for so many of these guys because I mean that's gonna obviously hit hard or hit home with the fans but it's also gonna hit well with the UFC and how they want to book you going forward fighting not just during the pandemic but putting on a show with no fans again you mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast, those fans really energize a lot of these fighters. And some fighters have even been outspoken about saying that it's really hard to get the blood pumping without them. So if you can go on there, lay it all on the line, and put on these just crazy, fun-to-watch fights with no fans, I mean, I think the UFC is going to be quick to give you a quick turnaround and, and book you in big-time marketing, you know, marketable fights. So win, lose, or draw, DiCasey and physio have both sort of won, I would say, in the show last Saturday. And to add
0: on to what you said, I I truly think that any anybody can say what they want about the UFC and about, you know, fighting sports in general. And, and you know, the people say they're cutthroat and people say this and that. Um, these guys are going to be appreciated. You know, you're fighting during a global pandemic. Um, and essentially what you're doing is, and, you know, the undercard fighters might not think so, but you're keeping somebody's lights on, you know, and the UFC – well, undoubtedly, in my mind, they'll undoubtedly pay that forward, or they'll pay it back. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm I'm very excited to see where a lot of these fighters go, and I I'm very appreciative of this Fight Island scenario for kind of blowing up some of these fighters that they they have, or or maybe giving them this platform that otherwise you know they wouldn't have. Um, speaking of a guy who got a platform, um, Jack Hermanson, right? The Joker. Uh, arguably, right? He is arguably the dark horse of the uh, this middleweight division, um, and he, I don't, I don't feel like he got near enough respect. Maybe coming into this fight, he takes on Kelvin Gastelum, um, who, man, Kelvin's on a bit of a skid right now, um, <laughs> which I, I hate to see it, but I. I'm surprised, but I'm not. You know what I mean. But uh, Hermanson, you know, Hermanson beat uh, he beat Jacare, he beat David Branch, he beat uh, Gerald Mearchart. Meir, um, you know, his only two losses that that you know really stand out to me are uh, Tiago Santos, you know, at um, at middleweight, and then Jared Cannonier who you know he's another one of those middle ho- or middleweight dark horses. Um, But I feel like he had a really standout performance against Kelvin Gastelum over the weekend that I think potentially just sat him up to maybe challenge um, the winner of the Teal and uh, Whitaker winner. Yeah, Would you agree? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think the only thing – I mean, I really think that Hermanson is one of those guys who is a dark horse and definitely one of the most underrated, not just middleweights, but fighters on the roster – But, I mean, it was such a wild sequence. I mean, just for him to get that heel hook and get the tap, and we both have been in the sport to know that heel hooks are just one of those submissions where it's nothing, 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 i got to tap right now or everything's going to blow out of my leg. So, man, Kelvin, you just got to think, I mean, ever since he just put on that show against Adesanya, it's really been just one of those things where we were all like, okay, well, Kelvin's come to his own, even in that loss. I mean, that loss done more for Kelvin than any win since The Ultimate Fighter. But then just the fight with Teal and, and now this quick submission. I mean, you almost wonder, you know, where to go with Kelvin next. But in terms of Hermanson, I mean, it, it, the middleweight division is a wild one in terms of, you know, what's gonna happen and, and how you how you do that going forward. You know, obviously Israel and, and Paulo Costa will be the big fight to make, two undefeated guys and then Whitaker and Teal as you mentioned and you know, I know Darren Till and Whitaker are both kind of gunning for, for title shots, and I even think Darren Till said, you know, he's gonna get a finish and get a title shot, but I really think Hermanson is one of those guys that's right in the mix. And you mentioned Jared Kennonier, I mean he's got three wins in a row over David Branch who who was quickly rising to the top ranks of the middleweight division. Anderson Silva will say whatever you want. That's a big name on your record. And then TKO and Jack Hermanson. So for Jared Kennonier, I mean he's really the guy where you – I'm anxious to see what happens to him next because, I mean, it has been a pretty good-sized layoff since we've seen Cannonier here last. But a quick hill hook. I mean, it was so pretty to watch, but you really – I mean, you mentioned the winner of, of Teal and Whitaker. I mean, I would almost think that that might be a place where we see the winner of the Brunson-Shabazian fight. I mean, that may that may be where they go there because both those guys, I don't think, are really in the top five of the division – but are definitely, you know, on the rise. So that would probably be where I would see Hermanson. I mean, I know he's got a good record and a great resume, but I just don't think he's he's quite right there in that title contention talk just yet, just based off what the UFC's booking. I mean I wouldn't be surprised one bit, especially Say Darren Till goes in there and gets you know lands a perfect punch and finishes Whitaker. There's no doubt in my mind that Darren Till will get the title push. Even if that, I mean, this a win, a finish of Whitaker may be enough to get Till a title shot. Honestly, just with those two wins in a row, it may be enough.
0: I uh, see. I don't, I don't. know. I when you look at at uh, you know Jack Hermanson's uh, record and you look at you know some of the people that he's fought. Um, you know he's not fighting slouches by any means. You know, and and you know he he hadn't fought since uh, September of 2019 when he lost to Cannoneer. Um, Comes back, you know he beats Kelvin Gastelum, who um, Kelvin Kelvin like I said Kelvin's been on a rough stretch as of late. But Kelvin is still as game as they come. You know, fight of the year with uh with Adesanya. He. He's beat a lot of really good names. The only thing about Kelvin is that he seems to be on this skid. You know, he, he did beat um, he did beat Michael Bisbing, right? But that was, a lot of people could argue that was a quick turnaround for Bisbing. Um, you know, he knocked Bisbing out. And then he, you know, the split with Jacare, which, you know, people can say, you know, <laughs> uh, whatever about that. Kelvin has been on a skid, you know, because he lost to Chris Wideman prior to that. Um but Kelvin is still super game, and I think it's a huge a huge feather in Jack Hermanson's hat to to have beat him. Um I'm I'm kinda after I said it, I kinda thought about it for a second. I think that if Whitaker was to beat Till, I think I think Whitaker would get the immediate rematch just because he was he's a very good champion. Um and, you know, he, he's another one of these guys that just have a a kill list a mile long of incredible, uh, fighters, you know what I mean? Um, and that, and that, you know, the more that I think about it, I'm not against, um, Hermanson maybe taking on the loser of that fight, you know? Um, it's Hermanson's just, in my opinion, probably the, the biggest dark horse of this division, you know, cause, um, you know, Darren Till is a, he's, he had a rough stretch, and now he seems to be—he seems like he fumbled, and now he's kind of back on the right track. You know, he's at a more natural weight for himself. I really like him at the top of the division. I really like uh, Robert Whitaker, um, and then you—you know—you factor in Paulo Costa. There's your top three in the division, uh, right there. You kind of have to wonder where the Jared Cannoneers, where the Jack Hermansons uh kind of fit into all this and and I like the winner of Shabazi and Brunson uh, against Hermanson to maybe um, I guess to maybe see if I guess Edmund Shabazian is you know the real deal or to see if Hermanson is the real deal um Middleweight's one of those divisions where any fight that they could potentially make, after this weekend, you know, because this weekend's headlined by Teal and, and Whitaker, any fight that they make for Adesanya after this, I'm, I'm pretty okay with uh, as far as maybe the top four to top five go
1: I guess and see the crazy thing is when I look at the middleweight division I really think Paulo Costa has got a style that could be troublesome for Adesanya I really do and I think that definitely throws a wrinkle into the plans as well because I mean Costa's got wins over Romero and then Uriah Hall and Johnny Hendricks so he's not really fought some of these same name guys as Adesanya has you know Adesanya's got Romero Whitaker and Gastelum so you know if Whitaker or Teal you know, look impressive. Again, if this is a five-round battle, if it's just a good fight or if there's a finish, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I agree with what you were saying about Whitaker. I could definitely see him getting the, the title fight. The only thing I wonder is, is the turnaround time. You know, Whitaker's not one to want to fight, but, you know, every so often. You know, he's not one of those guys that really fights on a normal pace. He's had some injury issues and things like that. So you wonder sort of how that plays into it as well. But I mean you mentioned I mean Middleweight's got so many different ways to go and you know, Jared Kennanier, I, I keep looking at that name because you know he's not fought since since Jack Hermanson you've really not heard his name thrown around that much in terms of of what they want to do with him next and there's a lot of ways you can go there and see if you can find, you know, Kennanier a fight somewhere and that, that makes sense. Again, you're looking for fights that make sense. And he was expected to fight, you know, Whitaker, I think, back in March. And Whitaker pulled out, and then that was kind of it. We didn't hear about Cannoneer fighting anybody else again. So you have so many ways to go. And I think, obviously, you can look at whatever you want, can say whatever you want. Yoel Romero is still probably one of the scariest, most unpredictable dudes in the division. So anybody he gets potentially matched up against becomes a super dangerous fight. So... I don't think it makes a ton of sense to do Hermanson and Romero, but if you did it, it would be a pretty fun fight to watch, especially when you consider that Romero is such a powerful striker, but you have to keep in mind that he's one of the you know greatest wrestlers to ever cross over into mixed martial arts. So would Hermanson have the same game plan to try to get him down and ground and pound and work submissions, or would you know he stay on the feet and play a risky game against the powerful Romero? I mean... Romeros lost three in a row, but it's still a fight that I'd be all in on. So there's so many ways you can go in the middleweight division. And you mentioned, you know, after this weekend, things clear up a little bit with with the Whitaker and Till fight and how things go there. And then just a week away from the Shabazzian Derek Brunson fight because, you know, that's I think that's a big fight. If if Shabazzian comes in there and looks great, there's a good chance he really propels past a lot of those guys right above him, possibly even past Jack Hermanson in terms of being unbeaten. And you know, the UFC loves. The unbeaten aspect of any prospect, and that'd be a big name in Chebezian's resume. As you know, coming off wins against Tavares and Marshman aren't really big names, Uh, Brunson would be a big first step to possibly getting that next big fight, possibly against a Hermanson or a Jared Cannonier. I mean, that may be what Cannonier is waiting on to see what happens here over the next uh, two to three weeks.
0: You know, what we're kind of forgetting about is Romero is fighting Uriah Hall. So if I was to take this this sort of style of matchmaking, I would take the winner of Shabazi and Brunson, who I'm gonna, um, you know, if you're playing like a bracket scenario, I'm gonna say that the pulls forward and wins that fight. Um, same with Uriah and uh, Romero, I'm gonna say Romero probably wins that fight. Um, so if it's me, I'm gonna put maybe Shabazian against, I don't know, maybe maybe put Shabazian against. Um, maybe Hermanson. Yeah. You take Romero. Maybe put Romero against Canadier. I think that'd be a, a spectacular oh, yeah, fight. And then um, let's do let's do this. Let's do the winner of Paulo Costa Israel Adesanya fights the winner of Darren Till, uh, Robert Whitaker Um, and let's do the losers against each other. So we potentially would get, um, a Darren Till Israel Adesanya kind of uh, mix up. Uh, or we get the the rematch uh, between Whitaker and and Izzy, or you know you this might be us getting Paulo Costa as you know the champion fighting Robert Whitaker, and we finally get this this long awaited fight, this Israel Adesanya versus Darren Till, which I think could be a, a spectacular fight. Oh yeah, I w- and I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind that as for a, for a championship
1: or not. I, that's just a. That would be a good fight. Yeah, I forgot all about Hall and Romero locking horns here soon. You know, again, there's so many directions you can go with guys, and it really just depends on how the UFC sees the guys up and coming. Because I, I thought you were going to say Shabazian against Yo Romero, and I like that you didn't though, because I don't think the UFC would ever pull the trigger on that fight, because that's a good way to get one of your top undefeated prospects absolutely blasted by a guy who's in his 40s. So I think the UFC will be a little bit careful uh, with Shabazian coming up, because he does have a, a unique style. Where I mean, if they push him the right way, I mean. That's that's a good way to get him some good exposure and build him up again. As we mentioned, the UFC is going to go all in on promoting 19-0 versus 13-0, so he can definitely be, you know, in the mix next, depending on how they do. But I, I love, I love the way you set that up and, and love the way the bracket works because I mean, I think, you know, Romero is one of those weird 0-3 fighters where there's so many different directions that. You know, could happen after he fights Uriah Hall. You know, if he goes in there and beats Uriah Hall, which I would say he's definitely the favorite, then of course he's right back in the mix. Even one in four in his, or one in three in his last four, he's still right there in that top five mix. So, and the one thing we're not mentioning is, is where Kelvin Gastelum goes. I mean, I don't think I read that there was. You know, I never seen anything saying that he felt a pop or there was an injury. It was just one of those things where you you tap before that happens. So, I mean, Kelvin is still in the mix. I mean, zero and three. But so is Yoel Romero, and he's getting a pretty big fight. I mean, you know, where do you go with Gaslam? You know, do you keep him right in the mix? Does he see what happens with some of the other up-and-comers? You know, does he look at a guy like uh, Marvin Vittori, who's you know won three fights in a row against uh, you know sort of that mid-tier top fifteen guys? You know, does Vittori finally get his big fight against a name like Kelvin Gaslam? You know, Does he go on down the list and fight you know in- anyone else who's up-and-coming, or does he sit around and wait for someone who loses one of these upcoming fights? I mean, there's. There's so many ways that different you can go with Kelvin Gaslam because I mean an 0-3 skid and uh, all the none of the fights are that are bad losses you know Adesanya of course was a come out performance for Gaslam where I, I was most I was more impressed with Gaslam in that fight than I ever have been before uh, the Till decision loss is not a terrible loss especially if Till beats Whitaker and then obviously this weekend was it wasn't a very good loss but Romance is no slouch it, it's just you know a hill hook out of nowhere. I mean, you almost, I don't know, you just look at that a little bit differently if he would have went out there and just got blasted with a punch and just got TKO'd. I mean, he got caught in a hill hook while he was in a top position, so I don't think it really hurts him that bad. It's just 0-3 is oh, never good, but you know, I don't think Gaslam's out of the top 10, so to speak, but I don't look at him as a title contender anymore, but I still think there's some fun fights for him in the middleweight division, especially if you want to... Kind of skip on down to look at some of the other guys right outside that top fifteen.
0: And truth be told, you can always take uh, a Derek Brunson or a Uriah Hall and and let Kelvin go in that direction just to kind of stay fresh, maybe potentially get a win under his belt, and then kind of take a breath and and uh, almost hit the reset oh, yeah. for a moment. Because because like I said, Kelvin has good good wins under his belt. He he's a, a top tier fighter. He's just on one of those skids, you know, and like you mentioned, Uel uh, Ramirez is also kind of on one of those skids where he's he's 0-3. Um, it's it's a really good division. Um, it's it's an exciting division because it seems like no matter what really happens at middleweight, you never truly get a boring fight. You know? Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? Oh
1: yeah. Well, I mean it's really that. Bef- If you stop at middleweight and go all the way down to bantamweight, that's how it is. I mean, you feel like any fight you make in the top 20 is going to produce fireworks. And uh, middleweight's one of those divisions where we're starting to see – it's just crazy how different light heavyweight and middleweight are. Where middleweight, you just see so much more speed and footwork and really especially the top. I mean, you look at that top – I'm not the USC top five, but, you know, my personal top five, I mean, you're not going to find a better list than Adesanya, Whitaker, Costa, Teal, and Romero. I mean, that's a that's five killers who can get it done anywhere. So I really think that in terms of a top five, the middleweight is just so fun, and, uh, you know, we've already played matchmaker with almost the whole top 15. I mean, that's, that's how good the division is where, I mean, you don't have a bad fight anywhere. So any direction they go, Really can produce a a marquee title fight somewhere down the road, but I mean I think Adesanya and Costa is going to be a a big time fight, and I'm I'm real I'm real excited to see that fight. That's one of the title fights I've been looking forward to more than any other in terms of any division, because Costa is so just big and powerful, and Adesanya is a much more precise and accurate striker. Uh, that's one of those fights where I mean it's a mix of my diehard passion and my I just feel like it's going to be crazy. Like, I just can't wait for that fight. I hope nothing happens. I really want to see that fight.
0: Before we move on to the, the main event of the evening, do you know what's a fun thought to think yeah. about? Is potentially Yoel Romero going up to light heavyweight and us getting a Yoel Romero, Tiago Santos kind of moment, or um, a Yoel and, let's say, a Glover, or Yoel and a um anthony smith you
1: know oh yeah i mean yo romero he's not the biggest guy in terms of his uh height and his reach and everything but i think as powerful as he is and i mean i'll just be honest i think a lot of the light heavyweight division at times it looks a lot slower than middleweight if he can keep that just explosive speed man i mean you know even against a a guy like blackowicz you know who's uh wants a title fight i mean i think that would be just all those fights are so fun and, I mean, a lot of these middleweights, look at some of the middleweights who have moved to light heavyweight and had success. And look where they are when they left the division. Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos were not top 15 middleweights. But they were able to keep their speed and their explosiveness and come to light heavyweight and just shake things up. So, I mean, I, I'm surprised we've not seen more middleweights do that, to be honest. I, I'm really surprised that we've not seen a lot more you know, mid-tier middleweights just gain that extra weight and try to just keep that pop in their step and make a run. Because, I mean, if you would have told me, you know, two years ago that Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos would be top five light heavyweights, I would have told you you were absolutely crazy. But that's where we are. And, and I think that's uh, – I don't know if that says a lot about the way those guys gained the weight or if that says a lot about the difference in 205 and the smaller weight divisions
0: another one to think about is anthony rumble johnson you know he's a guy who at middleweight you know he had a a couple good wins here and there at light heavyweight he's possibly the scariest man on earth with a right hand you know um he's just another one of those guys that that sometimes sometimes i do agree sometimes the weight cut does kill somebody's power it kills their speed it kill it just it drains you and then sometimes there um there is like a gap in competition Potentially. And we've kind of talked about that with light heavyweight for years now. Um, and you almost – you have to wonder, is it a dip in competition or is John Jones having this kind of Demetrius Johnson, uh, Khabib kind of moment where it's just him doing it to other people or if there truly is a dip in competition. And you know, when you look at the middleweights who are jumping up to light heavyweight, that's kind of – it's a red flag, but it's kind of, well, okay um, – it's it's kind of one of those things where okay well Anthony Smith did beat uh, Alexander Gustafson, who in, in my opinion is probably the best fighter to never hold a belt um, in UFC history you know if not him then maybe Uriah Faber yep.
1: I mean I, I um, think like heavyweights going I think every weight class is now I mean trying to think off the top of my head, but every weight class has kind of went through that phase. I mean if you think back at the Anderson Silva days of middleweight, I mean Patrick Côte, Damian Maya, Nate Marquard, I mean those were those were guys where I think everybody said there's no way they get close to Anderson Silva and then they didn't, you know, in terms of the competitiveness of the fight and then we were all going, you know, what in the world's gonna happen? I mean I remember looking at the Chris Weidman fight and being like, My goodness, they got nobody else for Anderson Silva and then everything shifts. I mean, I think we would be if if Dominic Reyes would have got that decision, everyone would look at light heavyweight in a bit of a different manner because that division gets refreshed. But I definitely think it's the John Jones effect. I mean, anytime you have a dominant champion who has fought everybody, I mean, he's fought everybody. I think you definitely start you know looking at the division in a different light. And there's definitely some up and comers at, at 205. I mean, Dominic Reyes and. Uh, the the guy who fought last week and who knocked out Ozdemir I mean that's you know a, a new look oh yeah I mean, there's there's so many different things that you can like about light heavyweight but it's just we're still sort of talking about the same guys in that top little bit I mean it's crazy Glover Teixeira is still a top tier guy but he's got two or three big wins in a row in terms of high level competition so there's always going to be at each division where we're kind of at that stalling point I mean if Khabib was more active I think we'd already be there at lightweight I mean if he ran through I mean if he would have beat if he would have fought Tony Ferguson got a win there and then he's you know he beats Poirier if he was then to beat Gage I mean then who are we talking about I mean then we're at that with lightweight so I think every division goes through it at different times I think 205 is just that weight class right now heavyweight's kind of close to it as well I mean no matter what happens between Cormier and Stipe, you have Francis Ngannou and then you're kind of left going, well, who's next? Who else is there? So, I mean, you, you mentioned the you know competition drop at these bigger weight classes. I, I just There's just not as many young upstarts as we see in some of the other divisions.
0: And I think to allude to what we said earlier, you have these guys like Tyson Pedro who have incredible – personalities and, and people want to watch them and then they get fed to the uh the lions almost immediately you know um is it is it the ufc shooting itself in the foot or is it um you know is it something else like you never truly know but i'm excited i i mean i'm excited for light heavyweight you know because i think any anything you do at this point you know i, I mean you can't deny a dom reyes tiago santos fight I don't think I don't think we can we can avoid that. The guy that knocked out Ozdemir, I'm trying to think of his name—is it Jury? Yeah, yeah. Or Yuri. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He he's a scary guy who's now catapulted himself to the top. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just it's one of those it's one of those things where um, we've seen this before. You know, like you were saying with the with the Anderson Silva. I remember when I was younger and I was watching uh, Chael Sonnen fight Anderson Silva. And, you know, and Shell was, was, I mean, doing great. He was getting the job done. I was kind of like, there's no way this is going to happen. And then, sure enough, it didn't happen. And so then after that fight, you go, all right, well, who's really, like, who can really dethrone this guy? The same with uh, with Demetrius Johnson. The first Henry Cejudo fight, I said to myself after he, um, you know, he, he TKO'd Henry. Uh, I said, who... I, that was an Olympic gold medalist. Who can beat Demetrius Johnson? Yeah. And I still, I would argue to this day that, that DJ didn't win or didn't lose the second fight to Henry. But um, you are right. We have we have seen this multiple times with multiple divisions. Oh, yeah. Um, and like we just mentioned, flyweight was one of the longest um, uh, examples, oh, yeah. I guess. And And now, you know, this past Saturday, we just got a new champion. Oh, yeah. In a very in a very refreshing manner.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it really, it, it took this long. I mean, this was the first time since I mean, with Henry Cejudo, no doubt, you know, as, as cringy as that guy is, or there's no doubt he did breathe some life into the flyweight division. But then he kind of took it away when he immediately started calling out bantamweights and featherweights. But this is the first time that to me the flyweight division has felt legit again. And oh, man, Figueroa. Just, if we were going to call Lipsky the queen of violence, I mean, you may have your king of violence. I mean, just went right out there against Joseph Benavidez. You mentioned, you mentioned Gustafson and Faber as best guys never to hold a title. I think you got to put Joby on that list. you got to put him pretty high on that list because, I mean, this is a guy who's done everything there is to do in these lighter weight divisions. I mean, you could even call him a lighter, you know, bantamweight, flyweight division icon, but just can't get over that hump. And, and Figueroa, I mean, went out there and just... He almost finished Benavidez four times in just such a quick manner, and then a rear naked choke that that was hard to watch. Two knockdowns, four submission attempts. Fourth one got the job done. Landed 35 significant uh, significant strikes in under five minutes. He was just going at it. I mean, that's he put on a show, and I mean, really just emerged as the face of the flyweight division, and and finally got to take home the title that he should have won if he would have made weight a couple months back
0: i um when i when I broke this fight down earlier today on on my other podcast, I brought up a very interesting scenario, um, and I'd like to just kind of propose it to you and just see what you think. Um, so in this first fight, the first round was very close, right? And um, the second round was you know the head butt. Uh, Joe B was leading with his head, right? And it's something that Joe B has had this tendency to do sort of his whole career. He's just one of those guys that just moves forward. You know, not a lot of head movement. He gets hit. Um, but he's always been this this power puncher, you know. He's always kind of been that, that guy at feather, or at flyweight, excuse me, that, uh, you know, he's kind of been, in you know, some, at some points in his career, the destroyer. And, um, you know, he gets head, you know, he headbutts. Davidson figured it out. I'm not going to say it. Davidson headbutted him because I, I truly think that the headbutt was caused... Uh, by Joseph Benavidez' fighting style and and just by his movement, right? He he, you know, he gets head butted and then you know you get knocked down and finished on the ground. In my mind, and I'm not taking anything away from Joe B. Um, I I like Joe B. as as a person, as a fighter. Um, I've had a lot of fun watching him. You know, I truly do hope he gets a win and then retires on a win. Um, but I I feel like he used that as a um, like a false sense of security you know and he kind of said that to himself going into this fight he said okay well I won the first round you know that's you know because because the first round was tightly contested and I think he he probably took that home with him and he said all right I did do you know I did do good the first round I survived the first round and you know I probably won that round and then you know the headbutt happened and now he has this, this excuse he said all right well the only reason I got finished was because I got headbutt. and I'm not saying that he directly said that, but you know the part of the animosity leading up to this fight was surrounding the headbutt, right? And so I think that in his mind he was telling himself, okay, I won the first round, okay, um, I got headbutted, and that's why I got you know I got finished in the first round. He didn't really make any adjustments from the first fight to the second fight. In the first fight, uh, he got touched to the body a couple times, so his hands, you know, were a little bit higher than usual. Other than that, he he truly didn't make any adjustments. And you got to think, if you're Davison Figueredo, you're coming into this fight knowing, okay, you know, and he's probably telling himself too, okay, I won the first round, and then I I finished him. Um, and you seen right off the bat, the very first time that Davison put him down. Uh, Davison jumped right on his back and had a a rear naked choke essentially locked in. And, you know, Joe, Joe B's jujitsu is severely underrated. Um, and, you know, he managed to escape, but I feel like after that, Joe B was a little shook and, you know, he, he got finished shortly after, you know, and it's hard to tell if he truly recovered from the first of, what was it? Three knockdowns. Yeah. So it's hard to tell if he truly recovered, but I I truly think that his his mentality leading into that fight was that okay, I got headbutted, okay, I won the first round and he just never made those adjustments.
1: Yeah, and it was it was so quick. I mean it was it was really the Figueroa's first punch, first clean shot rocked Benavidez and every punch thereafter that he landed clean was, was hurting was hurting Benavidez. I think that's that was a big thing, and I mean it was part of the game plan. I mean, every time he got him down, there was very little just dominant, you know, neon belly or top position ground pound. He wanted to sink in that choke. Is it was you know what he wanted to do in the fight, and I agree. I mean, really, you know, a headbutt will will cut you, and if you have an accidental headbutt and the fight gets stopped because of a cut, well, then you can blame a headbutt. But they they headbutt. And Benavidez backed away and wiped off the blood and was fine. And then he got hit with a big punch and got rocked. So I mean, it, it was an odd thing. And really, when I heard about this fight, I was really surprised they were even doing it because it still, I just didn't understand the concept of you know the immediate rematch. Besides just the fact that Benavidez has a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of name value to him. And I mean, again, it was an opportunity for Benavidez to finally. You know, get over that title hump because I mean as, as good as Figueroa is I still think a lot of people didn't know how good he really was so it was oh I, I mean Figueroa just really kind of emerged as now being from you know a guy we were all like well that's he's pretty impressive to being like my goodness you know this guy is the the best flyweight in the world in terms of what we see in the UFC and of course. There's a lot of you know exciting flyweights outside the UFC. We mentioned Demetrius Johnson earlier, and there's a lot more than just Demetrius. But you know this really breathes some life into the UFC flyweight division, especially if you consider the fact that uh you know I don't I know Benavidez said post fight he had no intentions of retiring, but you really wonder what in the world you do with him from here. I mean, this can you put someone as good as Benavidez as a gatekeeper? Because then you have to be real selective on how you how you book him and you know who you want to put him up against in terms of a prospect or anything like that. But you know it breathes new life into the division though because now you have the champion. You have a champion who you know is probably not going to go running to another division. Uh, unless he has weight issues, which, you know, hopefully that's all settled out, and Brandon Moreno's right there, and he's looked good, you know, 5-2-1 and one in the UFC, he's, you know, got almost 20 wins, he's an exciting, fun guy to watch, Askroff we mentioned, has got that outstanding wrestling, Alex Perez has been on a tear with, you know, beating, you know, Jazeera Formiga by TKO in his last fight, submitting Espinosa, I mean, those are two back-to-back big wins for Alex Perez, and, you know, he's, he's right there in the mix as well, so... There's a lot of places you can go with the UFC flyweight division. I know we mentioned earlier that, you know, with with flyweights, there could be a signing at any time where one guy can sign, win a big fight and be instantly in that top 10 just because the division's, you know, almost got reset not too long ago where the, a lot of guys were shifting weight and and moving from other organizations and it looked like the UFC was going to get rid of it and then all of a sudden they didn't. So the top 15 got really scrambled. So there's so many ways you can go. And, I, I mean, I mentioned, you know, at the very beginning of us reviewing this card, the flyweight division was one where at any time I could have seen it getting scrapped. But the UFC may have looked up by not scrapping it because now they have a Brazilian champion that's fun to watch, that's marketable. I mean, he's he's entertaining, he comes to fight, and now you have some real exciting title fights. And, you know, again, you don't have a pay-per-view draw here, but in terms of, you know, putting a show on ESPN+, Plus or having a, a fight night, You can do from from Yaz Island or really anywhere you want to do. You have so many options now. I mean, you got a Brazilian world champion, a Mexican number one contender, an exciting prospect from Russia. Alex Perez is, you know, your American prospect. You have some guys from Brazil uh, – Uh, France from Australia who can come up you know he's he's very exciting to watch you have so many different things and again you can't count out a guy like Tim Elliott or even I mean at the end of the day Joseph Benavidez probably not ever going to get another title shot but there's still some fun fights you can do to kind of test guys and see where your contenders are and where you're not so fast yet guards if I can say that I mean there's there's a lot of different ways the division can go but Figueroa's performance just breathes life into a division that's, I mean, really been on life support for, what, two, three years now.
0: Yeah, and I think – I said it earlier. I think Brandon Marino is the only way to go as far as the next um, immediate uh, title fight at flyweight. And the only reason that I say that, A, he's coming off the win against um, – Gosh, who was. It Formiga. was uh, Kai Kara france Oh, it was it was Formiga, yeah. Well, before that, he fought uh, Kai Kara france who at one point was, you know, an up and coming contender. Um, Brandon Marino has looked absolutely incredible since he came back from uh, LFA, and that's that's kind of the only reason that I'm I'm saying, you know, let's give him the immediate title shot is just because he's on two and tear now in the UFC. And he's looked great uh, in both fights. And he's kind of highlighted um, a little bit of these skills that he's picked up along the way in these last two fights. You know, Kaikara Franci, you know, that was kind of a, a technical striking brawl with some, some good wrestling mixed in. You know, GCO Formiga. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, he, he got to show his ground game off a little bit in that, you know, with some cool scrambles. Um, I, I really like what Flyweight is doing right now, and As sad as it is to see Joseph Benavidez going away, you know, because, um, you know, to hear him talk Saturday, you know, he wants one more fight, you know, he wants to go out on a win, and he'll he'll you know probably retire. Um, I think this division is probably one of the funnest, just because we have so many young up and comers. Um, and then you have this, you know, you said it a minute ago. He could be the king of violence as our champion. This guy used to train. Uh, he used to train buffaloes and cut hair and be a sushi chef. And now he's the UFC world champion and he, he dresses the part, you know, you've seen the all black, uh, the all black outfit, you know, he, he might not be able to speak English, which I feel like sometimes the UFC is hesitant about promoting these guys who can't speak good English, but I don't even mind that, you know, I think he kind of has this mysterious kind of James Bond, bad motherfucker vibe about him. And, uh, I would really enjoy seeing him, you know, kind of run flyweight for a, a long time if if DJ doesn't come back. And if DJ does come back, then wow, holy smoke, cause that is a good fight, you know. Oh
1: yeah. And I think the UFC is, you know, again, not sure when they'll go back to their normal, you know, rotating schedule, but I'm sure in a way they've been kind of hoping to get another Brazilian men's champion uh, just because Brazil's such a hotbed for MMA talent. And lately, they've been getting close, and it kind of slips out. And you know, Gilbert Burns probably still's got a title fight waiting for him in the wings. But I think with Figueroa, I mean, he's a fun guy to watch. And you know, they've always they've always done well with having at least one Brazilian male champion. So now you have that to kind of rely on if you are able to go do a show in Brazil sometime. You know, I'm not sure you know when the UFC would consider doing Figueroa and Moreno because I do think that's 100% the fight they'll go with next. But the, when you're able to do that or when you're able to get back to traveling, now you have someone – you can you can take a title flight to Brazil, something they've not been able to do uh, with a men's champion or a men's champion in a little bit of time. And uh, again, as you mentioned, I think you just have – the, the Flyweight division just needed some life, needed someone to – get behind. And, and that doesn't mean you need a Conor McGregor. Not, that's what everybody thinks. You need some kind of Conor McGregor. You don't. You just need fights that you can promote. And this is these are fights you can promote. I mean, any fight fan would be very excited to see Figueroa against Moreno and then see some of those guys fight someone like Alex Perez. And there's so many up-and-comers in the division. By the time you get two title fights in, you should have some new challengers. And as you mentioned, there's always going to be the possibility now of guys returning to that division. A guy like Demetrius Johnson, um, you know, does Henry, who possibly come back does he come back to flyweight maybe you know who knows You know what he may want to do in the future so that's what flyweight never had they never had that potential of having these big fights now you have you know people talking about that division again and that that breeds i mean such new life into it i mean maybe maybe more life really since demetrius even left because at least we knew he was you know really a, a flyweight guy and you know, Henry Cejudo I mean, was the he was he was the one that almost shut down Flyweight. If we're just being honest, you know, he he hurt Flyweight more than Demetrius going to one or the UFC trading Demetrius. You know, Cejudo immediately winning the title and immediately trying to go to another division almost shut the division down. But now it's been rescued, and you have some big fights to promote going forward.
0: Yeah, I uh, I'm kind of with you on that. I I think Henry Cejudo might have been the worst thing that happened to the flyweight division. I mean, uh, here DJ was, and a lot of people, and myself included, kind of gave him flack for not wanting to move up to bantamweight, you know, um, or for maybe not really welcoming those those challenges. He was a true champion. He would always fight the number one contender. And, you know, they created an ultimate fighter season just to find somebody to even give him um some competition you know ultimately in my mind he had the probably the all-time best submission with the the mighty Wizbar. you know he's he's a guy that um love him or hate him he was um he was definitely one of the best fighters in the world still is one of the best fighters in the world but he was a like this this um Gosh, this mile length ahead of everybody else, and you know Henry Cejudo comes along. You know, I who did he? He only defended against TJ, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And then and then moved along, and um, I don't know. I feel like I feel like a weight class needs they need a, a good champion and a champion who's constantly wanting to jump around and and move around. And I think that's when fans started to turn on Connor a little bit, is when he didn't immediately defend the featherweight title. You know, he was immediately talking about fighting Rafael Dos Anjos. And for a lot of people, that piques your interest. But for a lot of people, you know, people lose interest in that. Um, and so I think that's kind of what happened with Cejudo. People said, well, if the champ doesn't even care about this division, why should I? And now you've got this guy in Davison Figueiredo who, um, when lose or draw, I think he is probably physically incapable of, of having a boring fight. And I think, I think he's probably the best thing that's happened to the, to the flyweight division in a long time. And um, like I said, there, there's so many good matchups for him at flyweight. You know, there's no reason for him to move up. I think the, the missing the weight thing against, you know, Joe B in the first fight, I think hopefully that was a one-off scenario because he doesn't look like he's big enough to, to uh, fare too well at, at bantamweight. You never truly know, you know. Henry Cejudo is 5'2". Um, and was still able to to knock people out at, at bantamweight. But I think for right now, I think Sahudo is wanting to come back and fight at featherweight against Volkanovski. I think that's the fight that he's angling for. Um, so I can't see you know a Figueiredo-Cejudo fight ever happening. Um, a a Cerrudo, or I'm sorry, a, a Figueroa Demetrius Johnson fight though. That would be. You know, kind of the old school meeting the new school, if you want to look at it like that. That would be an incredible fight to have. Um, and even even in a loss, I still think Davidson Figaro holds a lot of star power.
1: Yeah, and uh, one wild card I'll throw at you to, to leave this is the thing that I've heard is that Cody Garbrandt has a lot of interest in dropping down to 125 pounds. So uh, Garbrandt's not had the best run of late, but after that beautiful knockout against the Sun Sal, I mean, just in terms of how Garbrandt loves firefights, if he was able to make 125, I mean, that would be an instant name value fun fight. Between Garbrandt and Figueroa, so there's just a lot of different things you can do with flyweights and uh, you know with the bantamweight division as well. And the super fights are, are fun to look at on paper, but I really think you shouldn't even be able to talk or even negotiate a super fight unless you have defended your title at least two times against the top contender in the weight division. But the sport's has changed so much over the last year. I mean, I remember for years wondering, well. You know, we couldn't just have Anderson Silva like a short St. Pierre one time, even though they were both defending their title almost every other month. And now, you know, guys win titles and immediately live the weight class. So uh, things have just changed, but hopefully this will be a little different. figueroa has got, you know, Brandon Moreno in front of him, and then there's always that possibility of, of guys like Cody Garbrandt moving down. And, and, of course, if DJ Dillashaw returns, I know last time I seen him, he was he was bulking up. So he's probably back at 35 once he gets back from his suspension. But there's just so many possibilities with a lot of different fights. And uh, that's that's the one thing that flyweight has needed for a long time, and they finally have.
0: Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think uh, – I see, I hadn't heard um, the Garbrandt going to, to flyweight situation in a while. I knew that it was a possibility for a while. Um, him training under Mark Henry, I really, really like Cody Garbrandt again, and, uh, TJ Dillashaw is one of my top five all-time favorite fighters, you know, uh, you take the, the incident that happened out of the equation, I mean, I absolutely love the way he fights, and when I first started doing MMA, um, you know, I was really paying attention to the younger TJ Dillashaw, and I was paying attention to... Um, his striking was just so different, you know, with the stance switches and, and, um, I just, I fell in love with his style early on. And, and I think he perfected it the further and further he went along with his career. And, uh, TJ returning to Bantamweight is an absolutely, um, incredible scenario that we can, you know, we can hopefully get, uh, you know, and you have guys, you know, Aljo right now is probably the number one contender at Bantamweight to fight Peter Yaw, but you have these guys. You know, even though Aljo just beat Corey Sanhagen, I don't think Corey Sanhagen has hit his ceiling yet. You know, I I kind of predict Corey Sanhagen is going to challenge for the title. Um, and You know, same with Garbrandt. I think I think a Garbrandt Yawn fight would be incredible. A Garbrandt Aljo fight would be incredible. You know, and there's so many good fights for Cody at bantamweight that I can't imagine he would want to to put his body through that to drop down to 25. But then you you know when you put it in perspective, a Davis and Figueredo and Cody Garbrandt fight could be, you know, a fight of the year winner, not even just a candidate, a fight of the year right. winner. Um, so it's it's really hard to tell. Um, Cody, I have been I have been podcasting now for going on three and a half hours. Um, so we have this, this card this upcoming Saturday. I don't want to go over like every single fight because this is one of the first fights that I've seen in a long time. They have seven fights for the main card.
1: Fifteen total.
0: Fifteen total. To give to give you a rundown, you know, we have the epic Darren Till and Robert Whitaker fight as the main event. Mauricio Hua and Antonio Nogueira, number three, is the co main event, which I I'm very surprised the co-main event is not Fabrizio Verdum and Alexander Gustafson, the Mahler at heavyweight. Um, Then you have Carlos Esparza, Marina Rodriguez. You have Paul Berju Craig against... uh, It's probably best that I don't butcher this name. Um, Antigulov. You have Alex Cowboy Oliveira and Peter Sabata. And our boy, Kamzat Chemeyev, against Rise McKee. Uh, Which of these fights, like, you know, what what fight here stands out to you the most? Well, of
1: course, the main event's a big one in terms of the middleweight title pitcher, because I I think we both agreed earlier that the Whitaker Till fight, especially if it's a barn burner, we got a finish. I mean, that could be your number one contender. Uh, I'll catch you off guard. I think that co event intrigues me a lot because it's it's almost a retirement fight, you know, if you will. It's a, a you know, not really – we see a lot, of, a lot of these veterans, they go out in a bad way. They end up fighting a young, hungry up-and-comer, and they get knocked out or submitted into another oblivion, and that's all she wrote. This is a throwback fight. This is a rematch from a, a pride battle and then a rematch from uh, when both these guys were uh, – maybe not in their prime, but a bit in their twilight, I guess you would call it. And now this is kind of a last hoorah fight. You know, Shogun Hua is a legend, a former light heavyweight champion. Uh, Little Nog, obviously, has got some of the best boxing we've seen in MMA back in the day. Not so much now, but back in the day really, you know, transcended by being the guy who had this amazing boxing, but you did not want to take him down. So, you know, you get it one final time, and I'm fine with it being the light heavyweight or the co-main event. You still get, you know, three five-minute rounds. I'm just real intrigued to see it because neither guy has, you know, looked like a true their true self in a long time, but I think this is an even style matchup where you know we don't have to see Shogun get absolutely you know knocked unconscious again by you know some big strong light heavyweight, and you don't got to see you know Lil Nog get get picked apart by somebody. It's a competitive fight, and uh, win, lose, or draw. I hope both guys you know call it a career after this. Neither guy is gonna make a title run. You know, there's no need. For any of that, I, I think that's a fun fight. Uh, outside of that, I, I really think the Esparza Rodriguez fight's a good one, too. You know, Straw White's by far the most competitive women's division in the UFC. Esparza, the first ever champion. She's got a very, very good top game, very strong wrestler. But uh, Marina Rodriguez is one of these up and comers in the Strawweight division. You know, the the White division's got a little bit of everything. You got your big names at the top, but you also have this really good list of of girls who were up and coming. She had the uh, draw against Cynthia Calvillo but before that the win over Ticia Torres who's always you know a game opponent who's just had some tough matchmaking in her career went over Aguilar you know we still don't know if Marina Rodriguez is a contender or kind of middle of the pack fighter uh, regardless of what you think about Esparza style this is a big fight to see which one of these girls will move into that next wave of title contention and, and which girl will kind of stay mid-tier so those are the two fights on the card I, I think I, I'm most intrigued by coming up this weekend.
0: I uh, I do have to agree. I, the Carla Sparza fight, I, I love Carla Sparza. You know, I came from a wrestling background. Um, I really love Carla's top game. Um, she fought not too long ago against, um, oh gosh, help me out here, uh, Michelle Waterson. And I, I just, I really like Carla. I think maybe she's not, um, she might not make another title run. I do truly, I, I like watching Carla fight, and I do think that she does get better, um, maybe maybe not every time we see her, but I do think she's made a lot of improvements, um, and I'm really curious to see how she handles the Marina rodriguez fight. Um, I am really interested about Chimayev and Rise McKee. Chimayev is one of those guys he fought, uh, was it last Wednesday or was it last, last Saturday? Last Wednesday. Last Wednesday yes he fought last Wednesday it's gonna be the quickest turnaround in modern UFC history uh, ten days um, against rise McKee um, in all fairness Ryze McKee has nothing to lose when you truly you know when you truly consider it um, like when you actually look at it you know Chimayev has this maybe not this massive star power but he has this big following now from what he done uh, last Wednesday you know he he showed that he has uh, potentially some of the some of the best uh, pure grappling, pure wrestling at middleweight, and he's you know he's dropping down to welterweight for this fight, which is absolutely incredible. Um, so I think that's going to be really interesting to see, um, you know, whether he can make it, you know, two for the island, or you know, go two and zero on the island, or maybe you know, one and one, you know, maybe. Uh, somebody can find a way to neutralize that, but he was fighting a pretty big hitter in his last fight and, and neutralized him completely. Oh, yeah. So, uh, um, then of course, you know Alex Cowboy Oliveira, man. Alex Oliveira is one of those guys must watch TV in my opinion, right?
1: Oh yeah, I mean he's um, he is definitely the Brazilian cowboy, no doubt.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's he's must watch cow. Um, sorry, must watch cowboy. He's must watch TV at this point. And uh, and then I am the the fight that I'm most excited for. Like I'm I'm a huge Robert Whittaker fan. Um, I'm really excited for the the main event, but I am more excited for the return of Gustafson, especially at heavyweight. Um, potentially one of my favorite fight moments of all time was the three consecutive uppercuts, and then the step off left hand against Glover Teixeira. Yeah. You, you, you oh, know yeah. what I'm you know yeah. what I'm talking about. He, the three consecutive and then he just steps off and just blasts him over with the left hand probably my favorite uh one of my favorite fighting moments um of all time definitely my favorite light heavyweight fighting moment and i think i think he took a, a much-needed break i think that he's going to come back fabricio over doom has not looked good in his last two fights um or I'm sorry, his his last fight, he you know his return fight against uh, Alexi Oleinik. He did not look, he didn't look that great. Um, there are some flashes of the old Fabricio, but I'm kind of truly thinking that he might hang it up after this, and and this might be really good for Gus to propel himself into the, you know, the top five at heavyweight, which is somewhat shallow. Um, The only thing that kind of holds me back about that is, you know, Gus's uh, track record with um, incredibly heavy hitters, you know, such as Rumble. You know, say what you want about DC. DC's a a good power puncher, you know. Um, And then, you know, the two fights with John Jones, you know, the first fight being exceptionally close, the second fight kind of being a runaway for Jones. I'm really curious to see what uh, Alex Gustafson shows up. And I hope that it's the Alex Gustafson that I'm hoping for, and uh, I think it'd be epic if he knocks out Verdum and then just immediately calls out Nganu or Biggie Boy, you know, just these, you know, two guys that nobody really wants to fight, um, or even a Derek Lewis. I wouldn't be mad about a Gustafson Lewis fight. Um, but I'm I'm really interested in that fight. That's probably my, that's probably the fight that intrigues me the most, um, or the fighter that I'm most excited about that Darren Till and Robert Whittaker fight. I only see it going two ways. I see it being all five rounds. I see it being pretty tightly contested, or I think Whittaker might spark him, uh, with one of those, you know, those weird head kicks that Rob throws. He'll throw a one, two, and then immediately throw the head kick, no wind up, just, you know, from the ground up. Um, and I think he might spark Darren. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping we get a good five rounds of fighting, but, Darren Till fights very hesitantly, and uh, and Rob, you know Rob's a banshee in there, so it's it's gonna be very interesting to see how that plays out.
1: Yeah, I mean I think Darren Till, for him to have a chance, I mean he really has to find that old aggressive style that he's had in the past that he's sort of got away from, and if he can go out there and put a little bit of pressure on Whitaker before Whitaker is able. To establish the pressure point in the fight, that changes everything. I mean, when Whitaker's ever been backed up is the only time we've ever seen him struggle. Adesanya came at him and was really leading the dance, countering when Whitaker would throw, and that was able for him to find the knockout. And then you know, Romero was just so stagnant. But anytime he turned it up, we always seemed that Romero had the ability to put Whitaker in trouble. So I think in terms of the game plan, Till you know doesn't want to get in a kickboxing match. And as good as Till is as a striker, you don't want to just be in a you know you throw. Two, I throw two. You know, you don't want to do that with a guy like Whitaker, who's got some of just just unique lethal combinations. But if if Teal can just time a nice blitz, a nice rush, he can have a chance. But I agree with you. I think there's a good chance that Whitaker comes out and, it, and looks the part. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens if this fight ever moves into a clinch battle or even hits the ground. To see what either guy can do, you know, whenever you have two really good strikers, uh, that's always an interesting aspect of what happens if these two end up in in more so a a tie battle, fighting for that position on the inside. Because I think that'll be an advantage. to, To I think Teal's size alone will just give him a little advantage there, moving up from welterweight. He's really bulked up. He looks huge here lately. And and Whitaker, you know, is a little bit more relaxed at that middleweight his weight so I don't know I just think this is such a very intriguing matchup that uh, has been booked for a while so both these guys have had a lot of time to prepare for one another you know this isn't one of those fight island short notice fights these guys have known about that fight for a while Uh, one thing you mentioned I want to touch back on Alexander Gustafson fighting at heavyweight you know I love the idea of Gus going to heavyweight but I wonder if this is him making a run at heavyweight or if this is him saying you know I, I don't have a long time to prepare with everything going on. I'll just come back and fight at heavyweight against a guy who's out of his prime. You know, I'm wondering if he's a, if he's gonna make if this is his return fight and he's returning to heavyweight or if this is just sort of him getting back in the mix of things and then he's gonna go back down to light heavyweight because, you know, at the end of the day, for from what we've been told, John Jones is gonna no longer be light heavyweight champion. That opens things up a lot at two hundred and five pounds. So I, I think that really sort of uh I don't know, that makes me wonder, you know, if Alexander Gustafson would consider coming back to light heavyweight after, you know, if he has a lot of success this weekend, how things will look there. You know, that, that intrigues me to a very high degree if, if that's something that he's considering because, I mean, that, that the light heavyweight division will be wide open. I mean, you mentioned the beautiful knockout against Glover Teixeira. Well, Glover Teixeira is one of the top four contenders in the world if you take Jon Jones out of the mix. So uh, a lot of interesting things could, could be in the works for Alexander Gustafson depending on what happens this weekend.
0: Yeah, and I wholeheartedly agree. I read somewhere, I think I want to say it was MMA Fighting, put out a post saying that Alex signed a four-fight deal, maybe. Um, if that's the case, I would not be mad if he maybe spent two of them at heavyweight, seeing the, uh, the situation there. Because, you know, Stipe and DC Fighting, um, it's awesome. You know, we, we, we all want the trilogy, The bad part is neither guy is in a rush to fight each other, Um, so there is some some timing issues there. And of course, you know uh, nothing against DC, but it seems like anytime he fights somebody, they have to take a little bit of time off because of uh, you know their eye. Um, So it's one of those things where I'm curious to see where the heavyweight division goes after their fight. Um, But if you know if John Jones is Truly leaving the sport, which I I find hard to believe, and then at some at some points I'm kind of like, well, it's he's he's if he was to leave, he would be setting the perfect example. Yeah. Get in, make your money, have a, a, a I mean, essentially a flawless record, and retire on top. Um, you almost have to wonder if the UFC is what keeps John so grounded.
1: Yeah, and I mean for John, if nothing else, he's gonna wait for a big fight. And the Dominic Reyes fight is intriguing, but is it really a big fight? And I mean... I don't know if he's waiting for a heavyweight super fight, if maybe he gets intrigued after the trilogy's over, or if he's waiting for, you know, you know maybe he leaves the UFC temporarily and say Dominic Reyes goes on a tear and beats everybody. Well, then that fight becomes a little bit more intriguing, because, I mean, you gotta think, Dominic Reyes wasn't really blowing everybody away when he was built up to fight John, and I think we were all a little impressed with how he fought against John, so if he, you know, say John officially vacates that title, you do Reyes against someone like uh, Tiago Santos or Black. Kovic or Teixeira or whatever and he goes through all those guys then John can return you know sometime in 2021 or whatever and that fight becomes bigger but you know when I look at Gus I think you made some great points about you know his his kryptonite so to speak I mean he he struggles with power punchers or gets stuck on the bottom so in terms of him in the heavyweight division outside of you know Fabricio for Doom and maybe a few of the older guys, or you mentioned the Derrick Lewis fight. I just don't know how good I like Gustafsson against any of the guys in the top five. You know, I don't know how I'd feel about him against Overeem. I don't know how he'd handle a guy like Curtis Blades. I don't think he would fare well against Francis Naganu. But when I consider how Gus may look against someone like Dominic Reyes, or the fact that he's already got wins over both Glover Teixeira and Jan Blackovich. Uh, you know, how would he look going back to 205? I mean, he did not look bad against Anthony Smith until that fourth round when he just got caught and got finished. So I think there's a lot of different ways that, that Gus can can do this comeback. You know, I mean, he doesn't have to jump right into the top five. I mean, he can get in there with anybody in that 6-10 to 10 range, you know, or maybe even get in there uh, you know, with Jerry, who just put on that big show. I mean, he beat Ozdemir who was a top 10 guy, maybe that's a fight that we see later on down the road. I mean, if he rematches someone like Anthony Smith or rematches someone like Glover or Jan Blackovich, any of those fights would be intriguing for Gus at 205. So if John really decides to vacate, I think that becomes a real big opening for someone to make a move at 205 pounds. And, I mean, that's honestly... You know, when I first heard of Gus coming back, that's what I thought was, oh, man, he's going to take full advantage of 205 being wide open again. Uh, and then I heard he was going to heavyweight, and that kind of threw me off a little. But I, I just think you know, you said it perfect in terms of everything Gustafson does well. When you look at the top five of the heavyweight division, those are all fights that I'm just not sure I would ever favor Gus in any of those.
0: You know what I truly wouldn't be mad at is, uh, because we don't know the status of Tiago Santos' uh, knees, correct? So with that being the case, I would not be mad at a Dom uh, Reyes-Jan Bukovic interim title fight. And then, depending on how Gus does against Verdum, or how he feels about heavyweight, maybe putting Gus, you know, letting the timeline uh, line up, essentially to let... Gus and, and Santos have a, a little scrap. You know, that would be a good five-round main event for a fight night. Um, and essentially it would set up, you know, whoever for, you know, the winner of uh, Jan and, and Dom, depending on the John-John situation. Part of me truly thinks that, that John has had enough of the UFC and he's done. Part of me, you know, I was mentioning that maybe the UFC is what keeps John's head on straight. Um, you know, maybe... Uh, maybe this is a negotiation tactic, or maybe he's truly trying to wait out the time to see what happens with Stipe and DC. Yeah. You know, DC said he was going to retire after this fight, regardless. Right. Correct. So, um, you know, John knows he doesn't have to worry about the the third fight with DC. Not saying that he would be worried about it in general, but but he doesn't have to worry about that. Um, in the in the in the event that DC was to beat Stipe, you know, he wouldn't have to. Um, you know he wouldn't have to rematch Daniel because I I think, and it's it's kind of the problem that I'm having with Max Holloway fighting Volkanovski one more time is, and in the same thing that I'm kind of having with with Shogun and Little Nog is a trilogy isn't always that fun, um, in the sense that you know John has beaten DC twice I don't know that that would have any sort of uh, monetary value the same way it did the first two times, and so I think that essentially what John might be doing is sitting out to see how much longer uh, or how long he'll have to wait before he can slide into that title picture and you know yeah. kind of steal it away from Ingunn and steal it away from Mangano, who's the rightful number one contender. Right,
1: I agree. Um, and I do think the only thing I've mentioned about Trilogy is uh, the value of the fight. So we mentioned uh, uh, way earlier in the podcast, this has been a few hours now, but you know, once fans come back, I mean, if you're looking for that big fight while John has beaten DC twice, the heavyweight aspect really changes things, I think, in some people's opinion. I mean, John's a long, skinny guy. DC is a big heavyweight now. I mean, I would be intrigued by seeing that fight at at or you know, at the heavyweight limit, especially if they open it up for fans and you get to do a little press conference and things like that. I think you know, in terms of a money fight, that's there. And John Jones has got money fights all over heavyweight. I mean, let's just get let I me mean, let's say, you know, Stipe and DC both color career after this. I mean, tell me you wouldn't be down for John Jones against Francis Ngannou at heavyweight. I mean, that is your that's your money oh, fight. That would be
0: that would be the money fight that that might actually trump anything that conor mcgregor can do the rest of the year truthfully yeah i'm 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 curious about the john jones situation and i think that i think gustafson might have um you know you've you've trained for a long time and you've been around fighting for a long time and i know i went through the same thing i had I had a loss and I had to take some time away. I ended up becoming a coach in that time and I fell in love with coaching. And you know that could very well be the thing that Gustafson done was he lost Anthony Smith, he got uh, a little emotional and he took time off. And now he's came back and he said, you know what, I don't want to cut weight anymore. You know maybe he truly wants to be a heavyweight. Um, But I do like the point that you you mentioned. You know Fabrizio Verdum did look pretty rough against Alexi Olenek. Essentially, he is. an easy, an easy target, yeah. you know, especially for Gus who, you know, Gus has incredible takedown defense. His boxing is, is superior to, to most people's in the, um, you know, most people's boxing in, in light heavyweight. And I, and I'm sure, you know, on paper, uh, you know, I don't even have to look at the, the striking numbers to, to even take a wild swing that his, his striking numbers are significantly better than Verdum's. Um, so, you know, maybe this is a warm-up fight for him to get back into it, get loose, you know, get some confidence about him, and then drop back to, to light heavyweight. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's I think that's why I'm so intrigued by this, this Gustafson at heavyweight scenario. Is What are the chances that we get John Jones versus Gustafson at heavyweight? Hmm. Yeah, You, you know man. what I mean? You know what I mean? I, I think that could be just as exciting as a Jones-DC. Uh, truthfully... Um, and I love Stipe and I love DC, I, I am somewhat hoping that they both call it a career out. Because, truthfully, you know, both of them have had these huge fights. They've had huge wins. They've both been champions. Um, they have a, a beautiful legacy in the UFC. You know, Stipe is essentially the most successful heavyweight champion the UFC's ever had. Uh, you know, DC is is one of the all-time greats. You know, even, you know, with the two John Jones losses, you know he's still an all time great. You remove those, uh, or you you remove the one. I'm sorry, you know there's there's no shame in his record. There's no shame in his career, um, and I like DC as a commentator as oh, well.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think I think heavyweight is one of those divisions where there's a lot of of, of up and comers, but the division just has a bad habit of getting stopped up by different things. And uh, even if if Stipe doesn't retire. You know, I'm intrigued by him and Naganu going a second time, you know. Naganu's kind of his 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 style is just to go for it and it gets, you know, Stipe the first time, it didn't work early on and after that Naganu didn't have anything left in the tank. So, I think he fight a little differently this time around. Um, I really just think honestly, and this is just my opinion, but I think it's a foregone conclusion that before summer of next year, Francis Naganu will in some way shape or form be the heavyweight champion. So I really think that that's where, you know, that's where we can see Jon Jones start to chime back in at the sport. I really just personally don't think Jon Jones is interested in anything at 205. I just think the Reyes fight is one of those things we mentioned earlier with JoJo Cotterwood. You know, what's the risk and reward? I go in there and I fight this young, hungry, up-and-cover for a second time, and I lose you know that only hurts me if i go in there and beat him well, i've already beat him now i have beat him you know twice in a row i mean it doesn't do anything for him so i think at 26 and 1 with everything that's happened he's sort of in that legacy fight mode and you know what I, i'm a lot of fighters do that way too early if that's where john is now I, i'm perfectly okay with that because we've talked about it earlier light heavyweight division is very stagnant there's not a lot of movement there's not a, you know we don't really know who's who's the next big thing so the way to really clear that up is if Jon Jones is looking for that big fight, then yes, vacate that title. And uh, we mentioned earlier Thiago Santos, his knees, he's been cleared. He's back full-time training. He fights Glover Teixeira in September. So Santos has got a fight book. So it looks like the UFC may be thinking about Dominic Reyes and Jan Blachowicz for the title or for the interim title or for the real title. I don't know. Uh, that that looks like they're the only two guys in the top, top eight who are coming off wins that are not currently booked, so uh, those are the two guys that, that look like they could be next for the title. I was hoping it'd be uh, Dominic Reyes and Thiago Santos, but uh, Santos, for some reason, is fighting uh, Glover, and that fight's happening in September.
0: You know a fight I really wouldn't be mad at at light heavyweight would be a rematch between Rockhold and Weidman?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't believe they never rematched yeah, anyways cuz that was a competitive fight until Weidman just fell down and then it just went crazy Then it just went a totally different way.
0: That was one of those fights where I I seen
1: it happening
0: um like I seen I seen Rockhold winning but that fourth round was completely unnecessary, yeah. I think. Yeah, I
1: mean it literally was just it I didn't, was
0: hard to watch. I didn't think it was going to be that brutal. Uh, <laughs> I uh I don't know I'm I'm very excited for this card this Saturday um I'm very excited for moving forward um I, we're back in Las Vegas after yeah, this right
1: this is the, it, this is it for Fight Island
0: I'm very excited to see what we do with this island now you oh, know like what I
1: mean yeah I think uh I think I would be really I, maybe even as soon as the post-fight press conference, I would, I would, just, I would, I think Dana will probably make an announcement about the return date because I would say it's not too far off.
0: I, uh, I've had a pleasure podcasting with you tonight, sir. And uh, I guess if I'm leaving our listeners with anything, it's going to be to watch this fight coming up, this uh, Darren Till Robert Whitaker uh, matchup. Watch the. Shogun and Little Nog. I mean, ultimately, it's their retirement yeah. fight. Um, <laughs> watch that. Watch watch Gustafson's heavyweight debut. Um, this this card has fifteen fights. Fifteen fights. That's a full day of fighting. That takes right me there. back
1: to all the amateur booking days. That's what we used to do. Sixteen fight cards start at two p.m. Don't be late.
0: Oh my gosh! I remember literally. I remember I got to a venue one time uh, and checked in. I had to have my hands wrapped by like 6 o'clock, and I didn't fight until like maybe like 9, 30, oh, yeah. 10. Oh, my gosh, that waiting in the back, I hate it. Yeah, our,
1: our pros. I remember our pros used to hate that because the pros had to be there by the time the first bell, and our bell would be at 3, and the pros would fight usually around 10, 10, 30. Oh, and they'd be so mad. They'd have their their coaches going to get them food. It was it was good times. I never thought I'd see it. I think this is the most fights on a UFC card since UFC 2. So it's been a long time since they went 15 deep. But I'm not complaining. I mean, I'm, I'm good with it.
0: We're, we're leaving Fight Island on a bank, oh, yeah. too. What is the what is the next? I'm trying to type it right now. What is the next fight card that we have after this? Well, we have Bellator this weekend as oh, well. Oh, yeah, Bellator's
1: back on. this weekend, and then it'll be uh, August 1st. They're back in the apex with the uh, Brunson-Chebezian fight. That'll be the next UFC show.
0: That's going to be awesome. And then after that, we have Stipe and Cormier. That's a a Uh, stat
1: card, too, man. That's a big card.
0: Biggie Biggie Boy and Junior Dos Santos. That'll be good. Pedro Munoz and Frankie
1: Edgar is going to be a really good fight. Yeah, well. Edgar at Bantamweight is going to be intriguing. I mean, if he can make that cut and still be himself, I mean, he's a he's a, just another big name at Bantamweight. And let's not forget the Sugar Show, maybe against the most underrated fighter in the division, Marlo Chico Vera. I mean, Chico Vera is going to be, I mean, that's going to be one of those fights where, I mean, if people look past him, if Sugar Sean looks past him, that's one of those prospect buster fights if Sugar Sean's not ready. Or it could be Sugar Sean's coming out party. He could go from a, you know, big popular name to a legit top 10 contender if he can put away Chico Vera.
0: This is so exciting. <laughs> like the, just looking at like the upcoming cards, like it's so exciting right now. And then you have Gaethje and Khabib happening in, you know, sometime in September. Oh my gosh. And then, you know, the uh, the Kamaru Usman, you know, Burns situation, Burns is a dark horse at,
1: at welterweight. Yeah, you got you got fights Man. everywhere, and I'm sure there's some being worked on that we don't even really fully know about yet. Especially uh, Peter Yan possibly fighting Sterling. I- I'm intrigued by that fight. I mean, there's there's stuff everywhere, and uh, you got still to come. I mean, like I said, Zabit and Yair are coming at the end of August. I mean, there's there may not be a fight anywhere that intrigues me more than that one, and that's that's booked now officially for August 29th. So that's something to look forward to.
0: This, uh, Like I said earlier, like, this is the greatest time to be um, a fight fan, like by far. Like This has to be the most exciting time, not only in UFC history, but in combat sports history. we got Aaron Pico fighting this weekend, who I am very high on. I love Aaron Pico. Uh, and Ricky Bandejas is fighting Anthony Pettis' little brother, uh, Sergio. That'll be
1: a good-ass oh, Yeah, fight. I forgot about Sergio Pettis jumping over to Bellator. He would have been a, a big-time contender. In terms of, of fighting, if he was still in the UFC, but that's a that's a big jump. I mean, he'll go over to Bellator and give them a little name value, but plus be a definite contender to possibly make a run for a title inside the Bellator cage. So I like that. I do too. Let's
0: um let's leave our viewers for the night. Um, I just sent you a, a text message a moment ago. <clears throat> Uh, listeners go to BaselineTimes.com, dot uh, Check out our website. There's more than just uh, just us, right? So if you go to the Baseline Times website um, and you go to the podcast, our Heels of Wrestling podcast is taking off um, and doing very good. It's super good. I actually, I'm not a super huge pro wrestling fan, Cody. I don't know if you are, but I listen to the Heels of Wrestling podcast and I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a it's
1: uh, stuff. <laughs> been a big pro wrestling fan but I, I do like i do like the occasional little bloodbath here and there
0: yeah I'm, I'm the same way i actually watched wrestlemania at the beginning of the pandemic and i was like wow this is yeah. weird oh, yeah. <laughs> um we also have views from the baseline which is uh you know kind of like our all oh, wait it's the general sports like everything kind of gets gets brought up on there i just listened to episode 25 today it's about cam newton and uh and about the nba um of course, we have Baseline MMA on there as well, which now, after this episode, we'll have two episodes up. Uh, we also have Shooter Pass, which is all about NBA. Like I said, Heels of Wrestling. And then hopefully, whenever the NHL comes back, Cody, are you a hockey fan? Because I'm trying to do Baseline NHL. i have to do
1: some research on teams. I like watching hockey, but I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to do a little, little more research. Uh,
0: go to BaselineTimes.com. Check us out. Follow us on Instagram at uh, I think it's at Baseline Times, and uh, give us a listen. Share us with all your friends. We're trying to uh, we're trying to take over uh, Barstool Sports. We're trying to kick them out. Not really, kind of.
1: <laughs> I mean, if we do, we do. That'd be nice.
0: Right? Maybe maybe they should let us uh, commentate a rough oh, and rowdy
1: one, oh, one yeah, weekend. Oh yeah, I'd be all in. Oh, I'd be all in. I remember when Rough and Rowdy was was just some local little. Grab a beer and watch it. Now it became a pay-per-view phenomenon. I should have jumped in on that when I had the chance.
0: You want me to like? You want me to really show my oh. age
1: right now? I fought in Ruckus in the Cage
0: before it was uh before MMA was sanctioned in West Virginia. I'm pretty hey, sure. Hey,
1: Ruckus in the Cage was good stuff, though. Let's not even joke. That was that was some of the that was some of the fine days of cage fighting. That was when it was cage fighting, not MMA. It was just just cage fighting.
0: <laughs> the, uh, I literally you know it was it was the outlaw days back then you know there wasn't like usada and there wasn't um there wasn't a lot of cans and cans so I literally spent hours before my fight and hours after my fight at the casino in uh Beckley west Virginia so that's a
1: little fun fact for you yeah, that's good stuff that's that was I mean we're in the peak days of combat but I mean uh, there'll be nothing to shake the memories of those early days there's nothing like getting beer spit on, spilled on you while you were walking to to a small cage in the middle of the bar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I made a, a joke one time with a bartender. We were fighting in this bar, and I made a joke to the bartender. I said, hey, if I win by knockout, can I have a free beer? And he said, dude, if you win by knockout, I'll give you a free pitcher. And uh, as luck would have it, I won by knockout in the first round, and I collected my pitcher afterwards. the best so. payment. It really is. (laughs) Cody, it's been a lot of fun, man. I super appreciate it. Yes, sir. Same here. We'll do it again soon. Yes, sir. Everybody, go to BaselineTimes.com, subscribe to everything, like all the podcasts. I think we're on Apple Podcasts now, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever podcasts are found. Have a good night.